And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. We're live on air. That's right. Hagman Report is coming to you live. In living color. Don't adjust your sets. We're back on video. Eric the Tech is back in his space station, and it is good. All is good. It is April 12th, Thursday, 2018. I'm Doug Hagman, of course, reporting uh, with Joe Hagman together, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. And we're coming at you strong tonight, coming out of the gate strong. Got some news to get into as well. Of course, we've got uh, tonight on the, on tap, here, here it is. Alicia Powell coming on. Alicia Powell coming on at uh, 7.30, bottom of this hour, uh, followed by uh, uh, Bill Federer, uh, going to be on video as well, followed by Keith Hansen, and uh, George Upper is going to be checking in the Western Journal as well. So we've got a whole whole litany of uh, stellar uh, A-list guests coming at you. Uh, I just want to open up the show by by giving you this information. If you don't believe, or if people are not in, in believing right now with respect to, uh, by the way, the monitor's not playing, so I can't, I can't see anything. Um, I, I, not that, not that it makes a difference, right? Live, live, we're coming to you live. Um, if you think that Mueller is, those people who believe, and I'm, sc- I'm still getting emails, I don't understand this, that Mueller is somehow working with Donald Trump to take down the deep state. This is not not real. That's issue number one. Number two, censorship issues are are really being ruled out. It's going to affect you, each and every one of you, especially when we talk about this. This guy, Dr. Richard Pan, California Sixth District. If he's got, if he has this way, we also have Second Amendment uh, attacks, attacks against our Second Amendment, both in Florida and Vermont. But uh, and some other things to get into uh, as well. Uh, also, to give you even more of an update about the uh, uh, the DC trip and some of the things that we did there, I want to mention that I did not do my show this morning. I got to tell you, I was I was just I was spent. And uh, sixteen hour days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and essentially Wednesday between the meetings, the travel, and then the show. So. Um, I apologize. My show did not air this morning. I did not do a show this morning, so I do expect to be back in full swing tomorrow. So that uh, that please accept my apologies there. And before we get further, going further, anyone near the Sterling, Virginia area on Sunday? I was handed a, a, a document on uh, this past week, and anyone that, that lives by uh, Sterling, Virginia. Now listen carefully to this. You know Kevin Shipp, right? Kevin Shipp is a former CIA officer. He, he's exposed to the shadow government. He gets into detail about things. This, there's a little, a very, very, I mean tiny, we're talking about attendance of 35 people, no more than 35 people, Sterling, Virginia, which is not too far from Dulles Airport, um, in terms of geography. From 3 to 5 p.m. this Sunday, April 15th, 2170, Auto World Circle in Sterling, Virginia. Kevin Shipp is going to be talking about the deep state, the shadow government, the um, a presentation like no other. Now, 
I believe this is free. Oh, this is free. Light snacks will be available to reserve a seat here. Now, grab a pen. All right, unless you're driving, then don't do that. I'm going to give you a minute to grab a pen and paper. Okay, time's up. You can always back up here. Uh, contact Kerry, K-E-R-R-I, at info at fun2cfaces.com. Now, it's not what you think here. It's F-U-N, the number two, the letter C, faces.com. That's info at fun, the number two, the letter C, the word faces, all smushed together, dot com. That's info at fun2cfaces.com. Contact Carrie. 35 people. Um, so I suspect that by the end of the broadcast, it'll be filled up. Uh, Sterling, Virginia, the Sunday, three to five. Kevin Ship, a good friend of the program, good friend of mine, and, uh, uh, I would urge everyone who has any questions about the shadow government to, to attend there. And just if you're joining us again, my show did not air this morning. Again, just dog, dog tired. Dog tired from, uh, a, a three days in, in the belly of the beast swamp and I, I had to get the hosed off to, uh, uh, get the stink of, of the swamp off of me. I understand why Donald Trump goes to, goes to Florida, uh, and runs things from Florida or from New York. By the way, Eric the Tech almost got, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what, mugged, not mugged, assaulted in the streets of DC. Uh, we've, we've, we, you know, I, I want to thank, uh, Tullus Security for, for the wonderful security they provided to, uh, Eric and I. Um, very good company, Tullus Worldwide Security. Um, but, but you never know. So I'm not going to get into the details of it except to say that, uh, uh, thank God Eric wasn't, wasn't hurt. A uh, guy came up to me and Eric and was on the street outside the Mayflower. And it could have got ugly, but uh, it, was, it was taken care of. So, yeah, Eric almost uh, uh, tell me the laid him out. The show. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really nothing. But I'm going to get into this uh, real quick again. The censorship is is a big deal. The gun grab going on in Vermont and Florida it affects you. Censorship is going to affect you, especially when I when I talk about this. Eric, you've got the link to the actual text of the bill itself about censorship. But let me start up by saying this about Bob Mueller. And, uh, again, the emails I'm getting, Bob Mueller is a white hat. No, he's not. Bob Mueller was put in the position, and, well, let me back up. In D.C., after speaking with Dr. Jerome Corsi, Eric and I, again, had breakfast with Dr. Jerome Corsi at the National Press Club, which... Boy, you got to see pictures of that place. I mean, that's just, it's an, it's an incredible historical, you can feel the history in there. You know, people like Eric Severide walking through. I, look, I know, I know, but it's still part of our history. Um, but it, it's just to, to see the iconic bar in there where, you know, the, um, the, uh, the Cronkites and the Severides and the Huntley and Brinkley's and all that, you know, and then of course the, the people in the print media gather. And, and the pictures on the walls, the newspapers on the walls, just really a fabulous place. But part of this is, this is a multi-sourced document here. Number one, you look at Bob Mueller. He's the, he, what's he doing? Why, why did the swamp pick Mueller to be in that position? And this is important background, so everyone knows this. He's the only person, really, that was fit to be seated as a special counsel. Why? Two reasons, primarily. Ukraine, 
think Ukraine, and think back to Hillary Clinton and Obama, but specifically Clinton's, in uh, primarily Clinton, but Clinton and Obama, what they were doing in, with, with respect to Ukraine and the Russian aggression, alleged aggression with Ukraine. And then the second reason is because of the violations, numerous violations of the Woods procedures. And that occurred, of course, during the Uranium One investigation, and it continued throughout uh, the uh, the entirety of the, the various, well, during Mueller's tenure as FBI director. <coughs> now, I'm going to throw out a name, because this is key. You know that Cohen's office was raided. Donald Trump's attorney, his office, his apartment, his storage, everything was raided. No knock raid. Why? Number one, that was to send a message to every single, every single attorney in America. Don't you dare. Don't you dare work for the Trump team or any member thereof. That was a warning to lawyers all across the United States. Consider when the FBI interviewed Hillary Clinton about the emails, the missing emails, in that room. And Peter Strzok, in my view, that piece of human debris. It's still on security clearance, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. But think about this. Peter Strzok interviewing Hillary Clinton about the emails, about her emails server, deleted emails. With her, Heather Samuelson, seated next to her, Cheryl Mills. Now, Cheryl Mills, by profession, is an attorney, a lawyer. Hillary Clinton, being interviewed by Strzok, and others, of course, were there. Number one, not placed under oath, softball questions, investigation was rigged. But here's what happened. It was during and after that interview, not interrogation, not questioning. You and I, we'd be dragged into the office, police station, you know, but the the FBI office. And we would be Mirandized. We'd be put under oath or, you know, the whole nine yards, right? But consider that during the FBI interview of, Hillary Clinton, and this is so important for you to remember. During that one interview, Cheryl Mills acted as a co-conspirator with Hillary Clinton in the deletion of the emails and the obstruction of justice. Now, she is an attorney. Now, consider this. Deletion of emails and the destruction of evidence and property. Yes, they're hand in hand. Now, consider this and, and understand how this works. You can be an attorney, you can be in the same room, you, but, but if you are actively engaged, for example, in the, um, in the process of deleting emails or uh, talking to Hillary about dele- deleting emails or going through this, you are a co-conspirator, you are a target, you are a subject, a person of interest. Yet Strzok allowed, and Mueller a lot, well, Mueller wasn't involved in this, but Comey specifically allowed Cheryl Mills to inv- or Hillary to invoke attorney-client privilege with Cheryl Mills. That was the name I was trying to remember the other day. Now, consider this. Michael Cohen 
who is President Donald J. Trump's attorney, his office, his home, was raided. Now, I'm going to just, I'm going slow here because this is, there's so much to this. Joe, you had, who signed off on the, who authorized at the Department of Justice level? Who, at the Department of Justice level, who authorized that raid? Okay, well, according to Not, Judge Napolitano, it was the New York AUSA. Uh, yeah. Okay. In the New York AUSA, Southern District of New York, being Manhattan District, <clears throat> authorized that. Who signed off on it? Do we know? Ultimately. Because this was, Mueller was the affiant. This was a Mueller operation. He was the affiant. He hands it off to the AUSA, Southern District of New York. Southern District of New York, well, uh, the, actually via the Department of Justice. But who at the main, Justice Maine signed off on this? Rosenstein. Rosenstein. No. Not Sessions. Couldn't. Recuse himself. What was the basis for the raid? Joe, what was the basis for well, the raid? There's a few. Uh, one, uh, apparently the, the core basis of the raid appears to be stemming to the claim that Cohen paid Stormy Daniels $130,000, but apparently he claimed he borrowed the $130,000 from the bank and did not disclose to the bank that he borrowed, uh, or why he borrowed the money, and apparently they're saying this is evidence of wire fraud. Right. Okay, that, that's the ostensible reason. Stormy Daniels! Oh my gosh, Stormy! Alright. Now, let me tell you, here's the deal. This is to cover up the Hillary Clinton activities with Ukraine. Remember this name, Victor Pinchuk. Pinchuk. P-I-N-C-H-U-K. Victor Pinchuk. This goes back to 2015 when Victor Pinchuk reportedly gave $150,000 to Donald J. Trump, not president, back in 20, September of 2015. Victor Pinchuk is a, a Ukrainian billionaire for a 20 minute video appearance that Donald Trump gave. Okay. You follow me on that? Okay. Simple enough. Remember, Ukrainian, Russian, the Ukrainian collusion, the Russian collusion, collusion everywhere, everything's a collusion, it's all a conspiracy, oh my gosh, everything is, you know. But this is, this is pre-election. But here, but he, but here's the, what, what is being hidden from people. Victor, uh, Pinchuk gave 25 million dollars to the Clinton Foundation. As a matter of fact, in June 2012, for dinner in the Hillary Clinton house. Can you imagine? Just think about this. Can you, in what, on what planet would you give $25 million to have FaceTime with, with the, with the yak? But I digress. I guess, I suppose if she thought she was going to win the, win the presidency. That's what's being covered up. Mueller, is pulling out all the stops, everything that you see taking place with Mueller and the special counsel is to cover up the same thing, well, cover up the, the, uh, activities of, of Clinton, the Clinton crime family. It's all 
That's that's the entire reason why Mueller is the perfect pick to be the black hat in this. Mueller is investigating Cohen's ties to Pinchuk. While knowing Pinchuk's ties to Hillary Clinton and knowing how much how much worse they were. Now, I don't know if anyone else is talking about this. I have not had the chance to hear or listen or see the media at all. But look at the Ukrainian connection to Hillary Clinton. A DNC staffer, uh, by the way, also Alexander Chalupa, keep that name in the back of your mind. But um, this raid was done to cover the Ukrainian collusion with Hillary Rodham Clinton. That's what this was. Every step of the way, you've got to cover up the projection. We did this, so we are going to accuse our opponent of doing this. Bear in mind this, or just make sure you understand, Mueller is not going to stop. Donald J. Trump, as President of the United States, mark my words, it is April 12, 2018, mark my words, as I say this right now, Donald J. Trump, as President, will be impeached. Mueller's not going to stop until that happens. I say, fire Mueller, fire Rosenstein, and go ahead and, and, and let's bring on the impeachment. I agree, except yeah, that's going to bring oh, the okay, impeachment wait, faster wait. than if yes, he doesn't fire but, Mueller. But l- let me say one other thing. People have said, well, you can't fire Mueller. And as a matter of fact, there are Senator or uh, uh, Congressman attempting to pass laws Good or pass that. goals to to prevent the firing of Mueller, which is absolutely unconstitutional. Right. Okay. So because the, here here's the pecking order. Donald J. Trump is chief executive officer. He's the guy behind the desk. He's the one that signs the paychecks. Basically, I mean, I'm, you know, metaphorically, he's the head. He's a CEO. Under him is the Department of Justice, and a subset of the Department of Justice is the Special counsel, office of the spe- special counsel. And if you go back in history, in the 1800s, you can see the very special counsels, the various iterations of special counsels back, even back into the 1800s. Whiskey rebellion and all that. So you gotta know your history. So, oh, one more thing about Victor Pinchuk too. Yeah, I'm not linear. So, sue me. I'm not linear. Oh wait, you probably will, right? Um, CrowdStrike. If you if you heard that name Victor Pinchuk before CrowdStrike, remember they did the analysis of the DNC computers, right? Said, oh, it is a Russian hack. Well, guess what? Victor Pinchuk is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and the Atlantic Council has basically has ties as well uh, the uh, uh, to the. Uh, which, by the way, the analysis of the DNC computer paid reportedly by Perkins Coie and uh, Victor Pinchuk as part of this uh, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council uh, tied closely to Perkins Coie as well as CrowdStrike itself. You see what a mess this is? But anyway, so going back to, so it, know the name. Research it for yourself. You're gonna you're gonna find that what Hillary Clinton did with respect to Ukraine and Victor Pinchuk versus what uh, Donald Trump essentially did with respect to um, giving a 20 minute video oration speech 
on behalf of and paid for by Victor Pinchuk back in 2015. Far worse. Hillary Clinton did far worse. She got 25 million to the Clinton Foundation via Victor Pinchuk and, um, Hillary, that's Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump got 150,000 for a 20 minute speech back in September of 2015. That's the real reason. That's what's going on. Forget everything else. For, don't worry about what you heard. So, Joe, about the, uh, Mueller, yeah, it would, it would bring on impeachment much quicker, but I believe right now there's a basis to fire Mueller. There's a basis to fire Rosenstein. Yeah. And for my, for my money, toss Sessions too. Yeah, Rosenstein definitely needs to go, and there is a number of indicators that suggest that the president might and is potentially leaning towards firing Rosenstein. Now, Mueller, you're going to get impeached, uh, most likely. You have too many even Republican politicians who are saying that Mueller is, is has a great reputation and uh, you know, he's trustworthy, and, and if the president fires him, then it's obvious that the president is admitting his guilt and setting himself up for impeachment, which is obviously bogus. But we see uh, the damage that this witch hunt has been doing to our country p- politically and in every other way that it's damaging us. And look at what the ACLU says. The ACLU has, is celebrating the raid on Trump's attorney. And this is a, an organization that is supposed to stand up for you know the rights of, of even the minority, as it says in the, as their mission. And they're... The the head of the ACLU put out a, a letter saying that while they do not you know usually agree with these kind of tactics in this case they are happy because this is upholding the rule of law and you know the, these people in the media these people on the left uh, these rabid anti-American crusaders are doing a real number on this country and which is where the censorship issue comes in mm-hmm. because people like us. People like Jones, Infowars, people like Lee Stranahan, people like Jason Goodman, people like uh, Tracy Beans, people... Uh, look, we are all going to get sued out of business, which is what what the, what the uh, press conference was, was a, was push, a pushback against these, these litigious, vexatious, litigious people, like, in my view, like Brennan Gilmore... Yeah, and, okay? And it's, it's, it's crap. They have not only... Uh, you know, the political divide, but they've also been able to capture not only the media, but also the churches and m- most importantly, the courts when we're dealing with these issues. So you are liable or, or, uh, it's more than like, more likely than not that you're going to get a Trump hating, conservative hating judge uh, a lot of times in these cases, ruling over these issues of censorship and, and lawfare. And that is a huge problem in well, itself. That's right. And the law's not being practiced based on the law, it's being practiced based on political bias, and when that happens, the rule of law just goes out the window. And, and if you don't, th- yeah, you're exactly right. There, there is no, unless they can change the law. So if, if, if you don't think that this could affect you whatsoever, let me tell you, if you are in California listening to this, and you've got a website, if you've got a Facebook page, if you have a, 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 a forum, if, regardless, California Democrat, his name is Richard Pan, Introduces a bill to force websites to use fact checkers. It's SB fourteen twenty four. Fact checkers, right? Right. SB fourteen twenty four requires all California-based websites to develop a, a, a plan to fight fake readers, including via social media of false information. You can check out the bill. It's SB fourteen twenty four. But if you don't think that this is going to affect you, it is going to affect you. 
it, 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 I don't care. Again, a Twitter message is Facebook. You are going to be labeled as a purveyor of fake news. And by the way, you are going to be liable. I've, I've said this before. You're going to be liable in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, money, lawsuits. It's going to be you in the ringer. But we, and that was, that was the part that, that this was the pushback, um, in DC. We are fighting for you. We are fighting these people. We are fighting these litigious lawsuits. And, and as I mentioned yesterday, Jones coming out and his attorney, Andrew Grossman, fantastic First Amendment attorney saying, you know what? You sue us. Here's what we're going to do. We're all, we're going to, we're going to file a motion to dismiss. And Joe, you nailed it too about the judges, federal judges. We're, we're not only going to, we're going to file, not only going to file a motion to dismiss, we're going to invoke the anti-slap statute and we are going to turn around and make you pay the court costs. Mm-hmm. And damages to us. Mm-hmm. That's the only way it, that that's the way it is in Europe for um, some of these lawsuits. Many of the the lawsuits that are filed, you if you lose, if you file a lawsuit against somebody and you lose, you have to pay those costs. Believe me, folks, and we are coming for this the a, people out there. And the we're not way playing to we're, keep we're it playing a, offense on a level playing field. Is to uh, have a stake in this, meaning you, you, you're not going to be able to. To sue people, uh, you know, just on a whim, you will have to pay those costs that you are putting these people through legally and, and the damages that come. And that would deter so many people from throwing out frivolous lawsuits at other people, um, for whatever reasons that they are. But if you win your lawsuit, obviously you don't have to pay anything. You'd be the one being, uh, given the, the damages. But this would deter so many people from, uh, filing Lawsuits with no basis in reality, or because of a grudge, or for whatever other agenda besides the they get their feelings hurt. All my feelings hurt, or they want to struggle for relevance, or they want their little blog, their little website, because we're self-professed Christian or conservative. My goodness! Oh, look at me! I want to be relevant. It doesn't matter. Free speech will reign. It's 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 the Constitution at the end of the day. In this country, we still have the right to free speech and the right to express our opinions. But when you start taking people like this Richard Pan and, and, and Joe, it's a travesty because this is going, they can't repeat the facts, so they want to shut us up. Absolutely, they do. And it'll be interesting to see where that, how that bill in California gets voted on. I don't think it would even, uh, even if it did pass, it would have to be shut down by the Supreme Court. But anyway, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Alicia Powell. We got a lot more to get into and a, a whole calendar full of guests tonight. So don't go anywhere. It's going to be a jam-packed show. Alicia Powell coming up next. Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. I want to read you a tweet, and then we'll tell you who it's from. At Real Donald Trump, the Syrian people do not need you to retaliate for them after the chemical attack only. They need to be saved from the daily killing by Assad for the past seven years. Hashtag Syrian Lives Matter, and on and on and on. Who can I, can sent I guess? That tweet? Can I guess? Yeah. Barack Hussein Obama. Close. Oh, wait, wait, Hillary Clinton. Nope. Not, okay. Not so John Brennan. No. 
Although, uh, probably related. Okay. <laughs> Nahad Awad, the National Executive Director of CARE. What does it tell you when you have the mainstream media, when you have these Nazi Democrats, these extreme leftists, all cheering for the president to bomb Syria, and then you see people on the right getting in line with that. Paul Joseph Watson did a great video, probably one of the... He's done a few really good ones this year, and this one is just as good and deserves everybody's attention. There's a lot of foul language in it, but rightfully so. Another stupid war. You know, you know something, Joe? A, another word you, you got children dying. You've got... um You've got the Western intelligence agencies uh, that caused the strife. The biggest, in my view, the biggest offense is people saying that this is a Syrian civil war. No, 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 no. This was an attack by Western intelligence, the the U.S., Israel, British, French, as well as the uh, Saudis, going into Syria and killing kids. And when you're talking about killing women and children, not by chemical attacks, but just in this this war, and you've got somebody, in ex- no, I'm not going to even apologize, and you've got somebody bitching about the language being used. Okay, really? That that's where that's your problem. Go, Paul Joseph Watson. Go. It's a great Go. video, and I urge everybody to watch it as he lays out, uh, you know, facts from the past and and what's going on now, as well as a uh, common sense argument as to why we need to be very cautious. And I do have hope that we did not see a strike in Syria yet. And we even saw the president kind of walk back his comments by saying that. I didn't say it would be soon, something like that. Uh, it may be down in the future, down the road, but we have not seen the missile strikes or missile attacks yet in retaliation to the alleged chemical weapons attack, which still no evidence has been brought forward that it even happened, let alone who was behind it. But everybody jumping on the, the bandwagon of, of striking Syria, including uh, France, as the president of France, has said he has evidence linking Assad to the attack, but will refuse to provide any uh, clarification or provide that evidence up to the public. You know, we, we're going to be following this Syrian thing, uh, this Syrian issue. Uh, Joe's done a great job in research on this. And uh, I've, I've been saying, too, this is that Benghazi was all about this. Or Benghazi was the, the logistics center for the weapons and, and materials and, and personnel to Syria, ultimately destined for Syria pulling weapons out of the uh, Middle East and Northern Africa. And, and that's what, what Benghazi was all about. Um, so we're going to be following this closely. But, you know, i got to tell you this. You know, one of the best one of the best times or one of the best moments in, in uh, my time in D.C. was, Joe, you, you know what it was? i got to tell you this. Meeting with the... Meeting with Alicia Powell. What a delightful young lady, intelligent, and let me tell you, fearless. You give her a microphone. And point her in the direction and say, you know, can you, you don't even have to say anything. Give her a microphone, man. She's, ooh. give me the head of Debbie Wasserman Schultz right now. Where's, where's Wasserman Schultz? Get her over here. I'm telling you what, the, the Alicia Powell is a talented, intelligent young lady. Well, let's bring her on. Alicia, welcome back to the show. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me back again. I gotta say, uh, you pick up that skill. And being assertive and aggressive when you sit in college classrooms and high school classrooms for years and you watch everyone kind of just be liberal zombies 
and sit there and let their professors proselytize anti-Americanism. And at some point, you got to just break out of your shell and speak up. And I think all of that has prepared me for being a, a sharper journalist, at least not afraid to speak up for what the truth is or take a stand and not be a lemming and a follower. So uh, thank you guys for having me back. Well, you know. I'll, t- I'll tell you, you know, Lisa, there used to be an old saying, and I'm sure some of our old, older audience would know this. Uh, you know it's going to be a bad day when you've got the film crew from 60 Minutes sitting in your, your outer office. I would say this. I would, I would assert that you know it's going to be a, 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 a bad day if you've got Alicia Powell on your butt. Okay, so um, you're that good. You're that, and I've, your work is, is incredible. And we need people to support Alicia Powell and follow on Twitter as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank uh, you. Uh, and it was so great to see you, meet you face to face in DC. It was just a fantastic. Um, just a fantastic opportunity. Likewise, uh, we were at Alex Jones's press conference, uh, and, and uh, Roger Stone was there, and we were addressing. How, they were addressing. I mean, there's all of us, a bunch of conservatives, a bunch of people who care about freedom and our First and Second Amendment, addressing how we're being squandered and censored by Zuckerberg and the Justice Department, for that matter. I mean, I think it's me. It, won. We've won the election in 2020, but we really never won. They're just more, they're ready to come after us more than ever to to squander our, our, our constitutional freedoms. You know, Alicia, it, it makes me wonder, well, this is such a broad topic because right now Richard Pan, the, the uh, state senator from California, introducing legislation to to force websites to use fact checkers, especially if they're in Cal- or, you know, in his purview in California, sixth uh, congressional district. You've got Zuckerberg when you were in D.C. When we were in D.C., Zuckerberg on the other side of the town testifying in front of Congress. What a social misfit, misfit this guy is too, um, in my view. This, this guy looked like a uh, you know, a child that somebody dragged off the playground and uh, dressed up, put in a suit. It, it just I had that Sunday morning, Easter morning feel to it, where they dress him up, clean him up, and you know, put him in front of Congress. And he's, yeah, I don't know, but that's my that's my thinking. But but yeah, you, at this uh, at the uh, press conference, um, look, we're fighting back, aren't we? I mean, you're part of this. We're all part of this. We're fighting back against these these people who want to shut us up because they're not going to shut us up. I know, I know you. They're not going to shut you up at all, and we're we're banding together to 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 push back on this. I mean, it just I I do feel like conservatives are more apathetic, more complacent to like kind of just turning the other cheek, whereas we see outrage that the left has uh, astroturf ready to go, buses of uh, of paid protesters. They show up at these mass rallies. We see the pink hat protesters. We see just the left is ready to fight. They're 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 ready for war and. I don't think, as much as, as, as we're speaking out, people who work in new media and journalists, there needs to be more organization. I mean, we had the Tea Party back a few years ago, and, we, and the left success, successfully branded the Tea Party as racist. No one wants to be associated with the Tea Party anymore, but that was the biggest uh, retaliation we saw from conservatives against the, the liberal dominance and culture and, 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 and them take, basically we are fighting a civil war. I mean, look at what they're doing to the president. It's, it's, it's from, if, if the moment, you know, we found out all the revelations came about what the, how the, uh, 
use the FISA court yeah. to, to probe all of the Trump campaign officials. And then the Parkland shooting happens right after. And we just switch the topic to gun control. No one really focuses on the corruption on the left enough to where they actually get there's some accountability. And uh, I think it's really our part to keep honing in on the stories that the mainstream media wants us to glance over, to forget about. I mean, we're, we're months and months, years into this Russia probe, yet we have no idea why the DNC destroyed its server. And I say this every time I'm on your show. Why did the DNC destroy its server instead of handing it over to the FBI? No one in Congress is talking about that. I mean, yeah, Seth Rich and, uh, you know, it's all these conspiracy theories and fake news, but these are real subject matters at hand. You have the former DNC chair saying, well, we just destroyed the servers down in Brazil, and, you know, but let's talk about how Russia rigged the election. <laughs> all of the evidence shows that, I mean, historically, we see that the left has side with the commies and the Russians and um, socialism. They're outright, they're socialists. They, a majority of uh, liberal voters wanted Bernie Sanders. In fact, so many people, actually, who are even a part of the new media movement now, journalists who are conservative, they only woke up because they wanted Bernie Sanders to win and they saw that the Democrats rigged the election against Bernie Sanders, and then they went and voted for Trump, and they kind of woke up. I can tell you a number of journalists who, who that's the story with. So wow. point being, the Democrats have notoriously been hijacked by communists, and Hillary Clinton's, you know, getting the Obama administration has sold so much of our uranium to Russia, and they're just basically turning the page because they monopolize the mainstream media and the academia and music and culture and everywhere you look, every sign and billboard you can think of. So everyone's programmed. And I don't know, are we doing a good enough job fighting this? I think maybe our heart's in the right place, but our strategy's not strong enough. What would you recommend, uh, Lisa? Because, the, the, okay, we you mentioned the Tea Party. You know, even after the Tea Party basically got bent over and got it, you know where, Lois Lerner, is is walking around and collecting her whatever pension or whatever. What the hell? Are we supposed to forget exactly. about this? Exactly. Are we actually winning? Yes, we're supposed to forget about it. It's forgotten about. It's in the dust of history books until you know some. It's it's gone. And it's, it's. I mean, how do we have accountability when the FBI, the Justice Department, the intelligence agencies, not only just Zuckerberg, you know, Facebook and Twitter, they're all in cahoots together. And I, I, I really don't, I, we are still winning. Like, Donald Trump is still, did win the election. Um, so that's a testament. When we see him at his rallies and we see the support that he has been able to amass, I mean, that, that speaks to the fact that the truth does resonate and that everyone's not, uh, blindfolded by leftist, socialist, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton propaganda. But we're not doing enough. I think that we get complacent right after the, we win, the election, and we need to realize we're only a couple. We're only a, we're always an election away from uh, the extinction of the Republican Party. Amen. People are ashamed to be Republican in this country. They're ashamed to be pro-American because it's it's been successfully branded by uh, culture, leftist culture, to be racist and sexist and everything that's bad. It's redundant to even go yeah. on with this subject because we all know the truth. You know, 
Um, what I wanted to ask you in D.C., and, and I, I was looking, as I, as I was going through my notes, I, I wrote a little note to myself to ask, and I, as, as usual, I, I didn't ask. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think it's going to take? What will it take for the conservative, the Christian conservatives, but the conservatives at, at the very least, to say, you know what, we're not going to take this anymore? And really, what's what's our line in the sand? Is it going to be a censorship? Is it going to be over? Is it going to be over guns? Is it going to be what? What? What's it going to take for us to get off our, our collective, you know, what's and go out there and say, okay, this is war. We're going to fight with your rules, which is no rules, or by your rules, no rules. What's what's? Is there a, is there a I mean, one thing or what? I mean, what comes to my imagination? We're all complaining about Facebook and Twitter, for example. We're still using it. We're complaining about we're, we're we're all still using it. We're we're still using their monopoly, basically that should have been divided apart. It needs to be because it's a monopoly, and so uh, there needs to be campaigning. I mean, uh, at what extent do we have to back away from it? Are we just going to be like nomads where we're not using any of the technological tools that the Silicon Valley leftists have developed? I mean, where's the innovation from the right? to have an alternative platform. I mean, I can tell you, I've been, my Facebook fan page, as I think I started, I told you on Monday, Doug, just it was deleted. Yeah. Um, it just disappeared. I didn't even know, I'm not, I don't even use it that much. Right. And uh, so I contacted someone I know from the Bush administration who now works at Facebook, and she told me to contact someone, a woman, Kendra at Perkins Cooley. Now, you that blew my me. mind. You, you, yeah, folks, you got, yeah, and, and the people listening and watching, now listen to this. Perkins Cooey. Go ahead. I didn't, but this is so important because it blew my yeah. mind. And I thought, I thought I misheard you at first. And I thought, nah, I can't be true. And then, yeah, but okay, go on. I'm sorry. Well, there's more to the story and, and hopefully we can, um, break this story soon because there's, there's a, first of all, there's a number of, of, uh, independent journalist media outlets, a bunch of independent media outlets, people I know who run these websites who basically cannot function anymore because Facebook has banned them from Twitter. Facebook has banned their all of their operations on social media. And, of course, you know, that, that, so one of the people I know has served a cease and desist letter from Perkins Coey. So we all know that's the DNC, the lawyers representing the DNC. So I'm going to do some investigating. I'm waiting to see this cease and desist letter and find out what is it that these lawyers, these DNC lawyers have to do with issuing cease and desist letters to conservatives on Facebook. Yeah. And why was my Facebook page banned? There is nothing that I've ever done that, okay, I can tell you, I have friends from, I, I had a neighbor from Afghanistan. On her page, she's Muslim, and she had a person uh, carrying a head just walking down the street with a head and a whole bunch of other questionable things on her Facebook newsfeed. I mean, I saw my newsfeed from her page. She was never banned. She was never issued an unsafe warning from Facebook. But my my page, which has barely has a following because I don't use it that much, was somehow just deleted with no explanation until I happened to know someone that worked at Facebook who was a conservative. So... Really, I mean, first step we could do is just say, okay, I don't need this to stick of search through my Facebook news media, I mean, news feed, and boycott Facebook. What's it going to take? Especially after the testimony 
that we've seen Zuckerberg give and some of the admissions he's made to the uh, reasons behind the terms of service being so confusing and then his blunder on, on trying to define what, what hate speech was or his inability to define what hate speech was. It's all, uh, it's craziness. We live in, a, in an insane world in the twilight zone. But Alicia, kind of switching gears here, since you're in D.C., I want to ask you this. Are you familiar with the back page uh, story that's been breaking, how the feds took the website down under suspicion of promoting prostitution and child sex trafficking? No. Okay. Well, this was last Friday. I just wanted to get your opinion on the Women's March uh, organization coming to Backpage's defense saying the uh, sex workers' rights are women's health rights. But but they were, they're coming to the defense of this company who are being, and it's been proven that they have had child sex trafficking rings on, being promoted and, and uh, completed on their on their site. And somehow the Women's March is, is coming in defense of this organization. But if you haven't uh, gotten into this, we don't have to go there now. Well, no, I actually, I've, I've come across the stories. I haven't done the research on it, but it's no surprise. These women don't care. They, they're just followers. I mean, you see them in the streets. They can't even tell you why they're out there marching. They're so easy to gaff and get them. They're all stuck for words if you ask them anything. They're just basically followers for their minions. They're George Soros and... Hillary Clinton, anything that's Democrat, liberal, cool minions, and they pro- they promote late-term abortion. Just sit there and argue with them at the women's march, and they'll sit there and defend why you should be able to get an abortion when you're nine months pregnant, just like Hillary Clinton did during the presidential debate. So these people don't think for themselves, and they're on this dark side, so it's no surprise they're going to defend child sex trafficking and pedophilia, because they're everything that's I'm sorry, there's a war between good and evil, and they're on the wrong side. They're on the evil side. Yeah, so, yeah you're so, right. And, and we see this uh, time and time again, no matter what the issue is. These people always seem to be on the wrong side. How about the raid of Trump's attorney? I just saw a piece on Breitbart. Robert Mueller loses majority support after FBI raids Trump's lawyer. I don't believe he ever had a majority support. Do you see this right. as a violation of the attorney-client privilege? Is this justified and what should Trump's response to this be? I mean really they're just so desperate to try to the, every week they have to come up with something else. The Russia probe's not working or we're they're we're showing our our own, you know, corruption and how we're, we've basically fo- corroborated this big scandal with the DNC. So let's find something else that might stick on the wall to frame Trump. That's what they're doing. They're trying to frame Trump really Oh, yeah. None of us care that the multi-billionaire, uh, uh, <laughs> real estate magnet who, you know, who's been a chick magnet from the entire time I've been alive has slept with a porn star. Who cares? Nobody does except people who are false outrage, manufactured outrage from conservatives who, if we're up to them, Hillary Clinton would be president. These never Trump conservatives. If we're up to them, Trump would have never been president, so who cares what they say? They're still uh, revered as experts on mainstream media, but what they, we shouldn't really care what these conservatives have to say. And of course, the left just wants to frame Donald Trump. That's right, and that's they want that, that's it. And gone. The, the, it doesn't matter what it takes, what lies, who has to go just... from their own team. As long that's what the whole Me Too movement is about. Doesn't matter if, uh, if Conyers has to go, if Franken has to go. As long as we ultimately get Trump out of here, we can eat our own alive. Yeah, and my dad said at the in the show opening that he believes the president's going to be impeached 
Regardless. One way or the other. Yeah. So should he fire Mueller? Should he fire Rosenstein? Uh, or should he let this continue? Uh, what should Trump's response, if anything, to this encroachment and raid by Mueller be? I mean, you think about what the ch- president's juggling every day. You've got this domestic front with this Russia pro and, and all of the nonsense with Stormy Daniels and his own, you know, his lawyer. His, how they're, they're getting raided. We've never heard of this happening. Well, why wasn't Hillary Clinton's house raided? I mean, that's right. And, and, and I, it just makes yep. your blood boil when you sit and you think back about how much they get away with and you can't get away with anything, even if something has no basis at all <laughs> to be investigated in the first place. Yeah, and, and, and that, that, that's a great point because what Mueller is doing, he was put up there to find, he, he had the man, he just wanted to find the crime. And, and I'll tell you something, none of us could withstand that scrutiny of federal, of the federal government. Yeah, uh, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That's, oh, yeah. that's the way it is. It's, it's so backwards. It's, it's completely ass backwards. So, um, the bottom line is this, uh, they're out for blood against President Donald J. Trump. And I, it's my personal opinion, uh, Alicia, that, that, uh, President Trump has the authority to fire Mueller, has the authority to fire Rosenstein. It's, he should do so because they're, they're out to impeach him regardless. Right. I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, President Trump, he's probably more hated than George W. Bush was. And I was an ardent Bush supporter. I even worked in the Bush administration for a short time. So, I mean, this has been ongoing. They did the same thing for the President Bush. Yep. They wanted to, they did to try to delegitimize him, saying he never was actually won the election. He lost the popular vote in Florida and all that. And they're doing the same thing. Oh, now they have a way to say Trump never legitimately won the presidency because of Russia probe, which is even more malarkey than anything because we saw with our own eyes how Hillary Clinton just self-destructed and the Democrat party just revealed how corrupt it is. <laughs> I mean, the emails, it's all about Trump. Colluding with Russia to hack the DNC email, this DNC server, which got those emails over to WikiLeaks, which showed what? It showed that they were using slander and bigotry. They were they were slandering their own constituents with racist slurs. They were they were rigging the primary against Bernie Sanders in every way possible, and that they were spirit cooking, which is now immediately branded fake news. Don't investigate it. Just let that be history. But like you said, with that back page story shows that it's, it is real. There is child sex trafficking going on. And uh, when I do read into and research it, it looks like President Trump's doing a really amazing job at stopping it. So. Yeah. And then with all the serious stuff going on, um, and Alicia, I'm going to ask you about Syria. We only got about two and a half, three minutes left, but I just saw a report come out that Rachel Maddow and others that Mueller may be preparing a report on Trump obstruction of justice using four findings, his intent to fire FBI Director Comey, his role in crafting a misleading public statement in June of 2016, and on and on and on, uh, pressuring Jeff Sessions not to recuse himself. If Would this stand if they bring an obstruction charge? Will the American people buy it, do you think? No, I don't. I don't think I so think- either. I don't think so. I mean, I honestly wish that Jeff Session would just be replaced already. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did this man recuse himself in the beginning? Why is, where, where's the investigation into Uranium One while we're talking about Russia so much? Nothing. Uh, it's really unfathomable why there's no accountability on the left. I mean, and to touch on Syria really quickly, I mean, 
for one, I think President Trump might lose a lot of his base with this because he campaigned against George W. Bush and the war in Iraq and the war in Syria and intervening when we see heart-wrenching, disgusting things taking place on that side of the world, people, babies getting killed, women getting killed. And that's why I parted with President Trump during the election. And I remember when he'd come out and repudiate President Bush all throughout the Bush presidency because of this, the, the, the way he dealt with the war on terror. But now he's in those shoes, and he sees those reports and goes to the war room in the morning, the situation room, and sees what's going on. And if you have a heart, I mean, you can say it's a globalist perspective to take it, but these these uh, Islamic radicalists, they're, that this is a cancer to the earth. This will affect us. It has affected us before. There was 9-11, even though we forget. And so, I mean, we'll see what the president does on this, but I actually trust President Trump to make the right decision. And I don't think we should be pacifists to the Islamic terrorists. Amen. Amen. You, you you said it. Now we only have in the morning forty five seconds. Um, I don't want to embarrass you, but I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this this young lady is one of the most amazing artists you will ever meet. If you go to um, uh, if you go to her Twitter feed, look at that. Look at that drawing. Uh, look at that drawing. And she she's a wonderful painter. You're a talented young lady. You really are. Um, <laughs> are you selling any of these, by the way? Or I've, I've made a living with my art in the past. I've kind of left it alone for a while to do this. I live double lives. Uh, but I'm not out there writing and reporting. I'm painting and drawing. I'm well, probably going to paint and draw all the history eventually. John's shown me some of your other work, and it's 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 awesome, Alicia. I didn't know that you had that in you. No, well, she yeah, does. I've let that go. I've sacrificed a lot because we're we're we've been in an ongoing civil war. Well, you know what? I would urge everyone to support you, uh, whether by whether it's by through your art or just uh, you have a PayPal or anything, or because I know you don't advertise it. No, 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 I'm pretty modest. Maybe that's not the. Uh, journalist is not the right field for modesty, but well, there'll be more drawings to come. I'll post them. Good. All right. Thank you, Alicia. We're going to commission you for a couple of a uh, couple of things. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alicia. Have you, a great night. You're, you're such a gracious lady. Thank we'll you. be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. It is Thursday, April 12th, 2018. You know, so glad uh, that you're joining us. Uh, so proud that uh, we can broadcast programs like this to you. Just a terrific journalist, Alicia Powell. Last segment now coming up is William Federer. Uh, William Federer is an author of just a number of books, each one better than the next. I'm, I'm going to tell you the uh, uh, Who is the King in America is one title, uh, whatever America needs to know about the Quran, on and on and on. We've got a lot of his books here, if not all of them. He is a knowledgeable guy. He's one of the most, uh, again, most pro- prolific authors about a variety of subjects you'll ever meet. Just go. His website is AmericanMinute.com. And, in fact, it's linked off of the program description. But Bill Federer is going to be at Occupy 2018. That's next week. Um, that's going to be the 2021 and 20, uh, April 2021 20, and 22. And we're going to be there, of course, and it's going to be an honor to be rubbing elbows with Bill Federer and others, of course. So if you haven't gotten your tickets to Occupy, to Occupy 2018 in Canton, Ohio yet, 
do so. Go to HagmanReport.com, click on the link to the Occupy 2018 website. Make sure you, you, you get there. Get, get, the hotel rooms are going. The tickets are going. I don't even know if there are any left yet uh, right now. You can try for Occupy 2018, but make the decision and go. Even if it's for one day, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Um, Paul Begley and others. But Bill Federer is going to be there as well, and he's worth the price of admission by himself. I can, I can tell you that right now. Uh, before we get to, before we bring on Bill, you know, it was, it was this week. We, of course, you know, we, Eric, the tech, and I were in Washington, D.C., right? You want to talk about stress? Uh, 16 hour days. Eric is like, help. No. Um, you know how we, one method we use to cope? And, and I heard it uh, from Joe, uh, actually, while we were away, that uh, he couldn't find the whole tones package here in the office. That's because we took it with us. And let me tell you what it did. Because we, we played it in the car, uh, and it relieved the stress. You know, music, one of life's greatest pleasures. It's got tremendous power, the power to bring a tear to the eye or the power to quiet the mind, quiet a racing mind. You need to be focused today, folks. Well, music is one way to do it. And it's a great way to do it. Eric and I, actually, this is the first time Eric had heard all of them, because he's heard all of them before he played in the office. But this is the first time he heard them all. And he's like, oh, man, this is pretty cool. But i got to tell you, it gave us laser-like focus. And even Eric even said to me, you know, how does this work? I mean, I I actually feel different. It's the frequencies. And you know, music has the power to heal. It's been used throughout the ages to treat depression, to create energy. And let me tell you, you need that energy. Or on the other side, to induce sleep, relieve chronic pain and stress. And now, th- this guy, man, talented. He's a musician, an author, Michael Terrell, has created Whole Tones, the healing frequency music projects. You gotta, man, you guys just, you gotta, you gotta try this. Yeah, I'm telling you, this works. Whatever he did, however he did this, it works. These frequencies were studied in the music of King David and believed to have astounding healing effects. Now, you can benefit from this revitalized ancient healing of therapeutic music simply by listening daily to this music in the comfort of your own home, your car, your office. Folks, reward yourself with a gift of healing and transformation. Don't. Whatever you do, don't miss this opportunity to get an absolutely free sample of this music so you can begin benefiting right away. If you don't believe me, and you don't have to believe me, try it for yourself. But support this show. Go to wholetonesfree.com. That's wholetonesfree.com. Get a free sample. Just just try this out. See how it works. I guarantee you it's going to leave you wanting more. And the the complete package is, is what is you. This is great stuff. You get a free sample of these soothing, relaxing, and revitalizing music musical tones. Go to the URL wholetoneslive.com today for your free sample. That's wholetones. Uh, I'm sorry, wholetonesfree.com. That's wholetonesfree.com. Folks, do it. Do it. You'll thank me later. You will. Uh, in fact, I've got a couple of emails from people who said, you know, whatever, however, this brilliant man, Michael Ter- Terrell, did this. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's made a difference. And I know that my wife uses it at night. She keeps the whole towns by our bed, by our bed. 
uh, although it's been her bed <laughs> pretty much because I've been out of it. Uh, and it helps her sleep. And she said, you know, I've taken melatonin, I've taken this and that, and that but man, this stuff, or the, the music, 100%. And by the way, I did notice a difference because I, I'm, I'm in chronic pain with my back. I've had some serious back injuries. And that, it works. You don't believe me? Try it. You get a free sample. WholeTonesLive.com, but WholeTonesFree.com. And uh, I'm going to be grabbing Michael Terrell uh, again. I'm going to talk with, with him about the frequencies again because there's something else going on. There's something else, but he's got the answer to this. So anyway, with the, without any further ado, uh, Bill Federer, Occupy 2018. I just want to know what he's going to be talking about. Uh, I Well, I think I know, but I want to ask him. Bill Federer, welcome to the Hagman Report. Oh, wait a minute, we don't have him? We don't have him yet. All right, we're working on it. Let's do this. Let me, uh, while we are waiting, uh, as I mentioned with Alicia, there are reports from NBC News, from Rachel Maddow, from several others that uh, Robert Mueller may be preparing a report on obstruction of justice. Now, real quick, I just want to go through what the sources, anonymous sources, are using uh, as their talking points for this potential obstruction uh, indictment to come down or, or report to come down. Three sources familiar with the investigation said the findings Mueller has collected uh, as Trump attempts to obstruct justice include, one, his intent to fire former FBI Director James Comey. Well, he did that. And there's nothing uh, obstructionist about that. His role, too, his role in crafting a, a misleading public statement on the nature of a June 2016 Trump Tower meeting between his son and Russians. Three, Trump's dangling of pardons before grand jury witnesses who might testify against him and for pressuring Attorney Jeff Sessions not to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Mueller would then likely send a confidential report to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who is overseeing the Russia investigation. Rosenstein could decide whether to make a report public and send its findings to Congress. From there, Congress would then decide whether to begin impeachment proceedings against the president said two of the sources. NBC News also reported that Mueller and Trump will likely not have a sit-down interview following the raid on Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. You can read this at The Daily Caller. Uh, It's titled Report, Mueller may be preparing obstruction charges uh, on Trump. So we have that, which is very interesting news. Also, the strike, or lack thereof, in Syria, the U.S. response to the alleged chemical weapons attacks in Syria, we saw the president give a 24 to 48-hour timeline. Now, as we said in the the opening of the show, thankfully nothing has happened yet, which gives me hope that the president might be uh, getting his head back around the idea that this was a setup to force him to take action against Syria. Now, hopefully we get some inspectors in there from the U.S. and, and not that they can be trusted, but maybe we'll get a better idea of what happened if they can say that a chemical attack was used or not, if they can say who was behind it. We need to have the evidence before we retaliate or react. And again, if you missed uh, what I said in the beginning of the show, Paul Joseph Watson, if you want a great breakdown of how important this Syria matter is and uh, the potential roads that we might go down and a common sense breakdown on the whole situation, go to Paul Joseph Watson's YouTube channel. 
and check out his latest video as it is uh, right on the money when talking about what is unfolding right before our eyes with the potential for an international conflict. We are witnessing, we are living in, in the most uh, historic time in modern history. You've got domestic unrest. You've got an attack on a duly elected president. You've got these accusations of collusion. You've got these nim- these nimrods, these mopes out there uh, filing these vexatious lawsuits against uh, the truth tellers. You've got um, you, you've got basically racial lines divided. You've got economic lines being exploited and divided. You've got um, really almost geographical divisions within the United States, California being one of them. You've got gun legislation being passed in Vermont, oppressive, anti-constitutional, super-constitutional gun laws in Vermont. What happened? Remember what happened in Vermont. Study history. Okay, so you've got all that. But but this attack against a sitting president, we as Christians and Christian conservatives should not allow this. You know, I'm getting sick and tired of these mealy-mouthed Christians out there who are who are dissing Trump and attacking President Donald Trump. I'm sick and tired of these people who are saying, you know what, um, uh, well, the Stormy Daniels thing. And I, I get the emails. We did not elect a priest, a pastor, a minister. We elected a president. Carry on with the with the with the um, job of running in the United States, right? Everyone is a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner out there. It doesn't matter. Okay. The bottom line is this: he is the best man for the job at this time, and I'll bet you right now he's regretting running for president. He didn't need this crap. He did not need one. Do you think he wants this or wanted this? Of course not. So he needs our support, in my view. If you are a Christian. And you believe in God? I believe that we we should be praying for for His success and praying for Him on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and but but look, we got w- the war looming in Syria. You got these neocons out there saying, "Let's bomb bomb the hell out of Syria." Go ahead. But they're they're pushing us closer to war with Russia. That whole backstory stinks to high heaven. When you when you start understanding, as you said, Paul Joseph Watson, Joe, um, there's a great breakdown of this. Syria is really the stepping stone. That's the fuse for World War III. It's going to pit the United States against Russia. That's what they want. That's what the neocons want, and they're pushing Donald Trump to that end. John Bolton, remember, I, I get the, I get. Look, I understand. I completely understand about the guy. But if you want to, if you, if you want to control someone, hire him. Okay, and because Bolton does not. Or uh, Donald Trump does not report to Bolton. Bolton reports to Donald Trump. He's as a national security advisor. Um, yeah. So, and uh, and I do believe that Donald Trump is not inside a bubble. He doesn't know what's going on. Syria is a big deal. And uh, you go back to Benghazi and go back to Hillary Clinton. You go back to Obama, Clinton, Kerry. You, you get the idea of how the uh, the fire was started in the Middle East. The the more recent fire. It went through the Arab Spring and the Western intelligence agencies coordinating these attacks. It was all about Syria, really, Benghazi, all about Syria. Egypt, Muslim Brotherhood. You got Brennan, a closet Muslim. By the way, Joe, did you see there's there's a, a video out and I... Oh, man, I can't remember the name of the video. It's about Brennan and it, it, there, there's a scene excerpted and I saw it late last night and I meant to bookmark it and I didn't. Uh, it, it's a video that it might be a, a year or two old. Um, it's a movie. It's a documentary. I don't know. I don't okay. think so. Okay, and it showed the, the there was a minute clip. I'm going to see if I can find it. A minute clip from this documentary or from this movie, showing Brennan in in at the CA in his office at of the CA pr- praying, you know, as a Muslim. All right. 
So it, it's it's a very interesting. But see, you've got you've got this Muslim infiltration into our government, and as Diana West had talked about, this when she was looking at the Muslim infiltration, Diana West, the author, author of American Betrayal, when she was looking at that, what did she find? She found the uh, synchronicity between the communist infiltration as well as the Muslim infiltration, going all the way back to McCarthy. McCarthy was correct. So stop using McCarthy as a pejorative term, McCarthyism, because he was right. All of this ties together. you got to connect the dots. So those just joining us for this hour, by the way, I just want to mention I did not do my show this morning. I was dog-tired. Uh, I should be back. I should be back tomorrow. Uh, but the D.C. kind of wore me out. But, uh, hey, I did throw some whole tones on this morning. When I got in, well, I got late in, in late this morning, and uh, it revved me right up. But, okay. Mueller, if, if it's right, if it's correct what you're saying, does anyone out there find it odd that perhaps the drop of obstruction charges, which I don't know, can you really file ch- uh, obstruction charges against a sitting president? Nope. No, I didn't think so. Not for what okay. he's saying. But, not but for what he's the, alleging. The, the timing. The timing is this. The timing is about what? What is coming? The Inspector General's report. Do you think that maybe they want to strike first? Do you think that Mueller, Mueller's the, the man for the job? Mueller is put in there to cover up the, he was, he was a, he was complicit, a co-conspirator in Uranium One. He was a co-conspirator, oh, which is a discredited, comma, debunked, in air quotes, conspiracy theory. Well, if my, they were my, smart, my they'd wait was. the uh, IG no. report dropped. They, they got to strike first. focus off of the report, uh, and put the media focus back on the, uh, Investigation and, and their uh, allegations that Trump is already guilty. Wouldn't that make more sense? Let the let the report drop and then you know maybe 24 hours later drop the uh, no because because they're going to say see okay see this report the IG's report that's just because uh, that's just to draw attention away from the uh, the uh, uh, actual the real news which is the Mueller report the Mueller investigation the man of integrity the, the, the guy who could do no wrong. It's to take They just put this report out there of all these accusations against Clinton and Obama and all this stuff and all the deep state stuff to take away from the from the uh, Mueller obstruction of justice. That's what they want to do. That's their game. And, and see, the rules. There are no rules anymore. And you've got these these complete morons out there on social media on Twitter. You got these 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 snowflakes, these wet behind the ears, people like Zuckerberg, uh, I, I don't even know what he is, attempting to censor out the real information. And, and of course, they're the arbiters of, of what's real news and what's fake news. After all, we can't have, for crying out loud, we can't have Diamond and Silk, who've been on this show, we cannot allow them no, we can't allow them to, to be on Facebook because they're going to pollute the minds. They're fake news. In fact, they're, they're compromising the integrity of journalistic standards. Alex Jones, we can't for the, for, no, he's fake news. He's a purveyor of fake news. In fact, we're going to sue him. And we're going to, we're, we're going to get everyone to sue him. Hagman report, purveyor of fake news. And it's even worse because they talk about Christianity. So we're going to sue them too. And you know what? The reason I'm saying this with this much passion, it's not about us. It's about you. 
if we don't run point on this, you're going to have to. And you might say, bring it on. Okay. Uh, God bless you. We wish you well. This is what's taking place today. Meanwhile, the world, by these globalist, elitist, these people that, that have been in power and are still in power, are killing women and children all, all across the world through their wars. The immigration illegals coming in, MS-13. Just... If you don't, what Alex Jones had said about MS-13, about these illegal immigrants raping and murdering people, if you think that's an overstatement or hype, then you haven't been in Long Island or on Long Island recently to see the MS-13 stranglehold on high school kids from El Salvador and in, in Central America going going to uh, Long Island. Killers, killers, young age killers being made, being in, inducted into MS-13, being made to slash the throat and disembowel people in, in Central America, being exported or imported into this country by the so-called social justice left these are the people that are coming in the country that Obama wanted so badly in the country members of Congress want so badly in this country oh is it debunked it's oh Alex Jones saying for example they're rapers, rapists and murderers that's such a it's fake news well perhaps inside your, your limited uh, intellectual bubble that's fake news but you ask some families on Long Island you ask some families in, in, in San Francisco and Los Angeles. You ask some families, well, in the heartland. They'll tell you different. But see, that's that's the issue. They want to shut this down. They, they want to keep this quiet. And you know, I got an email earlier, too, saying, you know, quit talking about censorship. We get it already. No, you don't. If you had to send me that email, no, you don't. You don't get it. Because in a year, we might not have a voice. Remember, I was talking about this months ago. Months ago. Two years ago, I was talking about this. It's coming. Prepare, pray. It's coming. It's here. And we have our our guest with us, uh, William Federer. But I want to read an email from a listener first from Jim. And he just sent this. Uh, that's why I opened it up. As a fellow believer, I want you to know that I pray for President Trump and all of the patriots daily. It is counterproductive to jump off the Trump train at this time if we truly believe that God allowed him to be in office and must continue to support and fight for the truth. Well, that's the thank you, Jim, for that email and for the prayers. And I don't think people are jumping off the Trump train. I think, rightfully so, they're ready to criticize him for taking un any action in Syria without evidence but I, I do agree with the overall premise of what you said and thanks for that email we have with us our guest who's going to be at the Occupy 2018 conference coming up in Canton in just a few days April 20th through the 22nd go to coachdavelive.com to register and get your tickets and one of the speakers who's going to be there is William Federer his website AmericanMinute.com and go there check out the books and DVDs and all the other content 
And uh, it's, it's great to have you on, William, and it's great to know that you're going to be in the in Canton with us in just a, a few days, and we're really looking forward to hearing what you have to talk about. And if you can, give us a little insight as to what your topic of discussion is going to be. Well, hey, it's great to be with you, and I am coming to you from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm at a uh, conference, and matter of fact, I uh, don't want to have my uh, hotel room uh, lamp uh, blind your your view here. But um, at the homeschool conference, it's one of the encouraging things that I do is seeing hundreds and thousands of families that are genuine families, and uh, the kids are all respectful, and they all want to learn, and so forth. But um, I, I'm, I am looking forward to being at the Occupy 2018 conference uh, there with you and uh, with Coach Dave. And uh, one of the things that I do as someone who studies history is you see trends. So history is not prophetic, but it is predictive. And so past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. And so we can uh, look back in history and see uh, that writing was invented around three or 4,000 B.C., Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. So three or 4,000 B.C., we're around 2,080, so that's around five or 6,000 years of records. And so... In these records, what do you see? You see that power keeps wanting to concentrate into the hands of one person. And whether it's a Nimrod Tower of Babel or a King of England, right, it just wants to concentrate. Now, uh, one of the interesting observations that I did was in geometry, there's something called the golden ratio or phi or the Fibonacci sequence. It's a circle that comes around a little bigger circle, a little then comes around again, a little bit bigger, bigger circle. And if you've ever seen a Nautilus shell, it does this circle or a tornado or a hurricane or a galaxy. And it's always uh, applied geometrically, but I decided to apply it chronologically to the world empires. And they go through the same thing. So you got Nimrod Tower of Babel and uh, the Jewish commentator Josephus said Nimrod wanted to build a tower so high that if God destroyed the world again with a flood, he could survive on top. So it's sort of this defiant in-your-face attitude. And God comes down and confuses the languages and the people scatter. So he's power defined against God and separated power in the hands of the people. But it's almost like every generation since has tried to rebuild the Tower of Babel only on a bigger scale. It's like an antibiotic-resistant virus. Every time it comes around, it's a little worse. And so then you have Gilgamesh, king of Uruk, conquers from, uh, you know, has a wall around the city, around 2500 B.C. Sargon of Akkadia, 2250 B.C., conquers a bunch of walled cities from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. Then you have 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, 5,000 years of Chinese emperors, uh, Assyria, uh, had the biggest empire for a while with their king, uh, Tilgath-Pilasar. And then uh, it was conquered by um, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, had the biggest empire, conquered by Cyrus and Darius of Persia, had the biggest empire, until conquered by Alexander the Great, he had the biggest empire, until conquered by the Romans, had the biggest empire. And then the conquered by Attila the Hun, had the biggest empire. Then the Muslim sultans conquered from the Persian Gulf to the Atlantic Ocean in the 7th and 8th century. They had the biggest empire. And then you had Genghis Khan conquer from Korea to Hungary in the 1200s. He has the biggest empire. And then you have the Maritime Empires. The sun never set on the Spanish Empire. But finally, the King of England had the biggest empire that the world had ever seen. Clearly, there's a global goal in mind. And if it wasn't for these emperors and kings dying off, one of them would have had the whole world under their thumb by now. 
And so America's founders decided they didn't like this globalist king telling us what to do. And so they flipped it and made the people the king. It was a polarity change in world government. Instead of top-down, it was bottom-up. In my book, uh, the title of the book is Who is the King in America? I go through where America's founders get these ideas. Well, the New England pastors, uh, Connecticut's called the Constitution State. And where did they get their ideas? Well, believe it or not, from the Bible, specifically ancient Israel. So around 1400 B.C. is when Israel comes out of Egypt. And for 400 years, they do not have a king. This is literally the first instance in all of recorded history of a nation with millions of people and no king. And if you examine it, where there's a king, if you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. If you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason or you're a slave. It's a pyramid structure to society. Well, in Israel, not only was there no king for 400 years, the law specifically said there is no respect of persons and judgment. Rich or poor, everyone is to be treated the same. Male, female, made in the image of the creator. This is the beginning of the concept of equality on planet Earth. And Israel had tolerance. It wasn't like Babylon where the king blew the trumpets and you better bow. Here they were worshiping the one true God, and they never felt compelled to force the strangers amongst them to worship the one true God. Israel was the first nation with private land ownership. Wherever there's a king, you never really own the land. It's always conditional of you staying on the nice side of the king. In Israel, the land was permanently titled to each family. If they got in a pinch and sold it, every 50 years the land reverted back to the family. This prevented the dictator from gathering up the land and putting the people back into slavery. If you own land, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. Karl Marx called it being a capitalist, right? You got stuff, you worked hard and saved it. So it's called the promised land because people actually got to own the land. Israel was the first nation where there was no standing army. You have a king, he has an army to enforce his will. In Israel, every man was in the militia and armed and ready at a moment's notice to defend his family and his community. And Israel had no prisons. Remember in Egypt, Joseph was in prison for several years. In Israel, the law said when a crime is committed, you get the elders of the city together and you have the trial right then. And of course, there's a city of refuge that you can run away to to await a trial. Israel had no police. Everyone was taught the law. Everyone helped enforce the law. We have a little of that left with traffic laws. Somebody's weaving in and out of the lanes. Everybody honks their horn at them, right? And so uh, Israel uh, was the first nation with a bureaucracy-free welfare system. So in Egypt, people were selling their souls to the Pharaoh for a handout. Well, in Israel, when you harvested your field, you left the gleanings, the corners of the field for the poor to pick through, like Ruth. This way, the poor were taken care of without some centralized political leader collecting everything and doling it back out to those who can help them stay in power. And uh, Israel was the first nation that could read. So in Egypt, only 1% of the people could read. It was the scribes' secret knowledge. They had 3,000 hieroglyphs, and they kept them complicated on purpose as job security. So reading and writing was sort of the deep state communication, right? Uh, when Moses comes down the mountain, he does not just have the law. He has the law in 22 characters, not 3,000, 22. So easy to learn. Kids could learn it. And so Israel was the first nation that was literate. And so they got to choose their own leaders. Moses spake unto the children of Israel, How can I alone bear your burden? Take you, wise men, known among your tribes, and I'll make them rulers over you. 
And so this was an election process within each tribe. Their little village had their city elders, and then they sent representatives to the tribe, and then the tribe would send representatives to the Jewish Sanhedrin, their Hebrew Republic, and it worked for 400 years. And uh, so this is the model that America's uh, New England pastors looked back to, and it was a citizen-dependent model, again, bottom-up versus top-down. Now, what happened in Israel when the priests stopped teaching the law, every man did what was right in their own eyes. It turned into domestic chaos. The sodomites banging on the door, and finally the people went to Samuel the prophet, and they said, we want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. And Samuel cries, and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you. They rejected me. And so the rubber man snaps back, and they got King Saul. So it's a fascinating overview in history. Again, Israel was unique and an anomaly, and um, I... Uh, not sure if my screen froze here, but um, you're still here. you're still good, but brother. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be quiet uh, because we're getting a lot of feedback through the audio. So you keep going, and you're good. So go ahead. Well, now if if, you, if there's any questions or anything, I, I'll pause. And um, this is fascinating. This is fascinating stuff. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. <laughs> you notice this lot when you sneeze on, on the so uh ancient Israel was unique. Um excuse me again. Maybe that's why my screen froze. So now I looked at another example uh, is ancient Greece. So Israel had their uh, system of experimenting with ruling themselves from around fourteen hundred BC when they come out of Egypt to around one thousand BC when they get uh King Saul and then David and then Solomon. And so um, you fast forward uh, and you look at ancient Greece. Uh, and I talked about this in, in my book, Who Was the King in America? Another book called Rise of the Tyrant. And so uh, Athens had a king named Draco. And he had the first written laws in Athens. And you say written laws. Yeah, kings would rule by their whims and their caprices. And the people of Athens go to him and say, look, king, at least write these things down. So he does. But it's the death penalty for every other thing. So they're called draconian laws. Right? King Draco, draconian, the death penalty for every other. Finally, around 592 B.C., they throw King Draco out, and there's a king named Salome, and he invented democracy. And in a democracy, everybody every day has to go to the market and talk politics. And if you don't show up for a couple of days, you're called an idiotus, an idiot. And um, uh, now I bring up the difference. A republic is where you take care of your family and your farm, and you have someone in your place that goes to the market every day. A pure democracy, you personally had to be there every day. And so that's why pure democracies never grew beyond a citywide level, because once you couldn't be there every day, it falls apart. And so uh, the dynamics are important. If there's a king and you have an agenda, you got to get in to see the king. Uh, like the Chinese emperors had 2,000 concubines and they had Mandarin eunuchs that kept the harems. Uh, so if you wanted to get in to see the emperor, you had to bribe the Mandarin eunuch with some money and favors. Well, in Athens, there was no emperor or king or pharaoh. It was the people. And if you have an agenda, how do you pitch your agenda to an entire city? Well, you get them all together in a big outdoor amphitheater and you put on plays where you ridicule and buffoon certain points of view and you honor and extol other points of view. And so from that time till now, theater, media, 
is always political in a country where it's the people that make the decisions. Right? So if there's a king, all you gotta do is, you know, get, get in there and pitch your agenda and he forces everybody to obey. If the people are making the decisions, you gotta sway them. And so think of your favorite sitcom or movie or show. There's a character you identify with. They're cute. They're funny. They're the hero. And as this series goes on, this character begins to make morally compromising decisions. Little lying, little cheat, little lust, little revenge. And lo and behold, you find yourself apologizing for their actions, saying, well, I know James Bond is with a woman he's not married to, but he's about to save the world. So can we get on with the story? And it sort of minimizes uh, a very important character quality in your life, right? Marital, marital fidelity. And... Um, and then they usually portray people that hold old values to look like simpletons and bumpkins and backwards and idiots and hateful. And so you leave the theater or turn off the TV and you're saying to yourself, I don't want to be like that person that looked like a fool. And the other person, they were pretty cool. And so from that time till now, theater and media in Hollywood is always political in a country where it's the people that are making the decisions. Anyway, um, the Greeks, uh, is this making sense? Absolutely. And then the Greeks developed another way to sway the populace. It's called rhetoric. They're speaking persuasive techniques. Uh, ethos, logos, pathos. Ethos is where we get the word ethics, and it's the ethical reputation of the person speaking to you. So maybe you, uh, uh, you know, tune into a program or go to a speech and you can come in late and the guy's talking and you're thinking, who, does, who is this guy? How does he know what he's talking about? But you get there early, you hear the introduction and this guy's written books and he's been, you know, on television and spoken all around. He can say the same thing, but his reputation adds more persuasiveness to those exact same words. And so that's ethos. Uh, the Greeks then developed logos, which is the logical argument that's presented. And then there's pathos, which is where we get the word passion. And it's the emotional appeal. And even Aristotle said, no logical argument is successful without an appeal to passion. And they've done studies that like, you know, people buying a car or house, there's always this element of emotion that's in the decision. And so um, anyway, so these are uh, the rhetoric, the ethos, logos, pathos. These are persuasive techniques to use on the populace when it's the populace that's making the decisions. Uh, a couple other interesting things about Athens. Uh, there was a guy named Plato who lived there. He's a disciple of Socrates and the teacher of Aristotle, who taught Alexander the Great. But Plato, 380 BC, says that the government in the city would go through five stages. The first stage he called rule of the capable. These are people that know how to run farms and businesses. They know how to run city governments. They're just really responsible. Uh, they do a good job. The city grows. He calls them lovers of principle and truth. So the city grows. A new group wants to be involved in politics. Plato called them lovers of fame, lovers of honor. And they like being honored, and they like the, the attention. They're five minutes of fame. And these are people that have no experience running anything. They just somehow got famous. Maybe they were a, um, a Greek actor or a Greek Olympic athlete or uh, maybe a naval hero or even a busybody. These are all ones that Plato lists. And they get involved in politics not because they have a track record of running organizations successfully, but simply because they got famous somehow. And Plato says because they really love fame, they hate being defamed. And so this group of people you can manipulate. 
based on um, public opinion. So the first group, say whatever you want about them, they're going to do what's right. And the second group, uh, they're going to um, stay, uh, they're going to sway with whatever the wind is. And uh, so anyway, the, the second group, the lovers of fame and honor, they end up uh, funneling money out of the treasury to pad their retirement because they don't have experience with money. And then they funnel money to their friends and funnel money to their family members. And before you know it, it turns into a third category uh, called an oligarchy or a, a, an insider clique. Uh, Plato called them lovers of money. And these are people that uh, use their position to, to funnel money to their friends, and then they uh, tax the people that are their political enemies to take away their money. And um, and so it gets to the place where in Athens, it's all who you know and all the connections you have. And if you don't have the right connections, you, you have to, to – you pay the Obamacare tax where the, you know, the big companies have Obamacare waivers. And it's like, um, and so uh, Plato says the next step is that the people get upset that the insiders get all the favors and they rally and eventually throw the bums out and they set up a democracy. And Plato said a democracy is the most charming form of government. It's like a bazaar where you can go down and buy any viewpoint from the marketplace it's like an embroidery patchwork with lots of colors. And the chief characteristic of a democracy is lovers of tolerance. So you go from first stage lovers of principle and truth, second stage lovers of fame and honor, third stage lovers of money, fourth stage is lovers learns how to tolerate each other. And then he says you tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then you tolerate people that are a lot off. So finally, you're tolerating crooks and crimes and fraud, and nobody cares. And then he says the sons are disrespectful to the father, and if the father corrects them, the son just shakes his head and walks out the door. And then he says that um, uh, the son the, gives into libertinism, and the young men give into useless and unnecessary pleasures, even incest and unnatural union. That's right. He's talking about that behavior that that appeared at the last stages of Israel's uh running, uh, ruling themselves without a king when the sodomites were banging on the doors. And then Plato says it turns into this lawlessness, and they see that there's a pot of city money sitting there, and they said it's a democracy. Let's vote to spread the wealth around. So they take all the money and spread it around. Now the treasury's empty. And then they say, where can we get more money? And they say, the rich people. So then they vote to take the money from the rich people. Now there's no rich people left. And then there's a shortage, and they begin to bicker. And they say, don't take what I'm used to getting, and don't cut back on my welfare or my Social Security or my food stamps or whatever. And the population starts to become chaotic, and anarchy sets in, and it turns into random shootings and killings and lawlessness everywhere. And, of course, they didn't have shooting back in Athens, but it turns into lawlessness. And then what happens is someone comes along promising to fix it, and he's all smiles, promising everything to everybody. And um, people yield their rights and freedoms to this person, and he begins to consolidate power. And when he begins to get too powerful, they cast it in his teeth, and he has a choice. Get rid of the people confronting him or uh, get rid of the power. But Plato called him a lover of power. So he's not going to get rid of the power, so he purges his administration and military of anybody that has virtue. He wants yes-men. And then who does he get to replace him? He frees the criminals, the convicts, the slaves, the illegal aliens. He brings them in and arms them, and they become his mob that he sends around the country to destroy anybody that, that uh, objects to him politically. Finally, he stands in the chariot of state holding the reins of power, 
and he's revealed as the tyrant. So Plato says democracy without virtue ends in domestic chaos and lawlessness, and then the people surrender their freedoms to somebody promising to fix it, who ends up becoming a tyrant. And so he says, uh, uh, Plato says that it's inevitable because democracy is a temporary form of government. And what do I mean? Um, ancient Israel had this God who's watching everyone, wants you to be fair, is going to hold you accountable. And that would be a motivator for you to be virtuous. Is, uh, Athens didn't have that. Athens simply had you were virtuous because everybody sort of respected people with virtue. But he says, eventually, if you give people a choice between give up their virtue or give up their life, they'll always give up their virtue to save their life. So Plato says that it's just a matter of time till enough people give up their virtue that this democracy is going to turn into selfish chaos. And then out of that chaos is what a tyrant's going to arise. And so um, anyway, Plato says, how's this tyrant going to stay in power? He says that he'll take the children away from the families before they have been affected with the habits of the parents, and he will bring them into his city, and he will indoctrinate them with noble lies, sort of like a common core type thing. And he calls them lies. Uh, he says the lies help the king to stay in power, but it's inevitable that you're going to have a king, so this is just how it's going to work. And so he said the king is the head of gold, and uh, the uh, administrators are the armed in chest of silver, and the peasants are the abdomen of bronze, and it's back to a hierarchical king-structured society. So we got uh, ancient Israel attempted to rule themselves without a king, but without morals, it collapsed, and they got King Saul. Athens, Plato says it's going to work uh, until the people give up their morals, and then it's going to collapse. What happened to Athens? Well, uh, to the north was Philip of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great. And he conquered Thebes and conquered Amphipolis and took gold from these cities and used it to bribe citizens of Athens, those lovers of money, right? Bribe citizens of Athens with money under the table. And when they would gather in their market to say, hey, we got to get our military of Philip's conquering, these guys would stand up as paid propagandists sort of like with George Soros-type money. And they would say, wait a second, let's not get carried away. I I hear Philip's not such a bad guy. I hear he's not conquering cities. He's actually liberating them. The the people like him. And then these paid traders would gather around themselves what Lenin later called useful idiots, people that believe the the, the traitors' nonsense. And it so confused the city of Athens that when uh, Philip of Macedon marched to the walls of Athens, they threw the gates open, and he took over. And that was the last time the people of Athens ruled themselves uh, without a king uh, for over 2,000 years. And so after Philip came his son, Alexander the Great. After that came the Romans. After that uh, came the Byzantine emperors. And after that came the Muslim sultans. And then after that, they got free, uh, you know, World War One. But then they got... Uh, conquered again, and then they got free World War II, but then they got uh, in debt with the EU, and now they don't determine their fate any, anymore. So uh, people determining their own fate without a king is a, is a very rare occurrence in world history, and we need to realize that. But um, I'll pause here for so, a little bit. So where does that put us? To, I mean, okay, I cannot believe how much history you just covered. Where does that put us today? Um. We're very close to, uh, uh, I believe there are um, groups that are wanting to stir up domestic chaos. Um, uh, you know, we I used to live in St. Louis, Missouri, just a couple of miles from Ferguson, and um, uh, George Soros uh, 
pumped $30 million into more Missourians organizing for reform and empowerment. And they organized rioters. And the local city news would go up to some liberal church where they're all practicing their training. And, uh, and they say, oh, sorry, you can't bring your cameras in here. And then the next day, they would, like, stand in front of a highway holding hands, shutting the traffic down. It's like, you know, poor people don't think about standing in front of oncoming traffic. That sort of doesn't go through their mind. Somebody is organizing this. And uh, and so they do their rioting. And what happens is, um, under Obama, uh, they uh, sent the Department of Justice in to check out whether or not the sheriff's was uh, was racist. And I, I talked to Ed Meese, former attorney general. He says whenever they would bring him in, uh, these Department of Justice people, it was permanent. It wasn't just checking you out. And they they basically caused the sheriff's departments to, instead of looking down to the voters that elected them, they're afraid of up upstream of, of being accused of some federal crime and put in prison. And so, again, a polarity change taking place. And then they took the same exact people and they moved them to Baltimore and had riots. And then they moved them to Milwaukee and had riots. And they moved them to Charlotte. And it was a rent mob and, um, and then Saul Linsky in his book, Rules for Radicals, says you have to keep your base um, motivated, and they, they grow emotionally tired if you focus on one issue. So you have to go from Occupy Wall Street to Ferguson Hands Up, Don't Shoot, to Mizzou protests, to the student safe zones, to the, the um, you protesting the Confederate flag, to protesting the national anthem, to uh, anti-Trump rallies, to student anti-gun rallies. It's the same exact people that are organizing all these things, and it's this Alinsky strategy where you just move from one to the next to the next, but you're keeping your base mobilized, and the goal is to tear down the system. And um, I uh, love the quote from David Horowitz. He goes, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. They really don't, really don't care about Confederate flags and statues and pledges. They don't care about that. They just want a destabilizing crisis that when it gets so bad, people will easily relinquish their freedoms to somebody that promises to fix it. And so there's a whole line of, um, uh, history stories of the, the created crises, uh, necessary to urge people. I tell people the first invention ever was the plow. Right, the Bible talks about Cain was a tiller of the soil, and then people started hitting each other with it, and they turned into weapons. And people gravitate together for protection. Good idea. And then usually somebody's a little bit better at fighting than the rest, and everybody says, "Hey, you be our captain," and you end up uh, surviving. That is a good thing. But then this person has kids and grandkids and great grandkids who claim to be an elite class. My grandfather's the one we're all indebted to, and my family's a little more special, and, and that's the family that everybody wants to butter up next to, and before you know it, you're back to this hierarchical system of a king. And so in times of crises, people will surrender some of their independence and some of their freedoms. And so then you have people like Machiavelli and Hegel and Karl Marx and Saul Linsky that says, hey, this, let's speed this process along by creating crises. Instead of just waiting for a crisis, let's, let's create it. And so um, uh, how am I doing time-wise? Good. We got about, uh, what, about seven, eight minutes left. I feel bad that my screen's been frozen this whole time. I, I was, I'm tempted to reboot, but I, then I'd lose you. Yeah, no, yeah, you yeah, your video's coming through you're clear. You're fine. Oh, you can see the video. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're fine and, and you're, oh you're, you're right on target. So th- please don't stop. I mean, this, p- people need to understand, uh, in my view anyway, uh, just to give your, give you a, a little bit of rest here. Um, in my view, people need to understand Exactly what you're saying. The, the, the linear history here. 
to, to, to understand where we are today and what we are really on the cusp of or, or perhaps into already this vortex of chaos um, and the, the just the pathway but 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 the historical context so you're just so go ahead well i um uh thank you for that now i my my computer screen is frozen so i'm glad that i'm still uh moving around on yours um machiavelli lived 500 years ago in italy italy was not italy 500 years ago it was a bunch of city states venice genoa naples florence siena they all had armies and navies and fought and so Machiavelli said, you know, if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting between these different city-states. And so he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end, because it will stop this infighting, that any means necessary to get there is justified. Lie, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, the people would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals to kill cows and burn barns and smash windows and set buildings on fire and create domestic crises, the people will cry out for help. The prince will come in and kill the very criminals he bribed. Nobody would know the better for it, and they would all praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher. And they'll pay anything for it and even thank you for being there. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. You create or capitalize on crisis to consolidate control. All that influenced a guy named Hegel in the early 1820s. Germany was not Germany. It was a bunch of provinces, Bavaria, Saxony, Prussia, and they had armies and fought. And so uh, Hegel thought, well, gee, if we can consolidate power under one king, uh, Frederick of Prussia, then it'll stop the infighting. And uh, so Hegel took Machiavelli and made it an equation. It was a triangle. One corner of the triangle is a thesis. The opposite corner is an antithesis or antithesis. And the top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. In other words, you start off, you create a problem that's real bad, and everybody is happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. Then that becomes the new thesis starting point. You create another crisis that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. And you do this over and over again until the people give up enough freedoms where they move from independence to underneath of a king. And so uh, Karl Marx took Hegelian dialectics and says, okay, how do you create the antithesis? How do you create a domestic crisis? You send in agitators, agent provocateurs, provoking agents. You send in community organizers, labor organizers, and their goal is to find people with grievances and stir them up to riot. And when the domestic chaos gets so out of hand, everybody is just begging for someone to come in to stop this lawless killing. And 45 countries follow communism this way. And so... Uh, they would organize the proletariat against the bourgeois. Now, um, Napoleon said religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. So if you have a Christian populace that's been wronged, they'll just forgive. Uh, but if you have non-Christians or Islamic or whatever, you know, people that, then you can play upon uh, their desire to break the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. You go to them and say, you want what the others have. You've been treated wrong. Follow me. We'll organize. We'll we'll get it. And so uh, the Marxist idea was you'd organize the proletariat against the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners. 
you'd organize the blacks against the whites, the Muslims against the Christians, the Catholics against the Protestants. They'd even organize the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. They really don't care who the two sides are, and they really don't care what the issues are. They just want to create a social disturbance that's so big, everybody is willing to let all their freedoms be taken away by some powerful government leader that promises to fix it. And so this Hegelian dialectic influenced somebody called Saul Alinsky. Who was he? He was in Chicago, and he rode around with Al Capone's hitman, Frank Nitti, and saw how all you had to do was kill enough people, smash a few windows, create a crisis. Everybody would quickly surrender their freedoms to the mob and pay extortion protection money. This is at Wellesley College on Saul Alinsky, and President Obama was a Saul Alinsky community organizer in Chicago. Saul Alinsky says a community organizer's job is to create the issues or the problems. The community organizer must rub raw the resentments of the people of a community. He must fan the flames of hostility to the point of overt expression. An organizer must seek out controversy rather than avoid it. For unless there is controversy, the people are not motivated enough to act. And so this is the politics that's been played on America this last generation, is the intentional creating of crises and of racial tensions and of class tensions, wanting to stir this up so that there can be uh, lawlessness, which will allow the populace to say, we need the government to come in and restore order. And so this has happened over and over again. We've moved significantly along it. Um, you know, years ago, we used to go to the airport, and you could park and walk right in and get on your plane. And now we go through, I travel almost daily somewhere, and um, you go through the strip searching, and you go through rifling through, and now they, they even check your little snacks for your food. Uh, any other era in history, we wouldn't put up with that. But because of this crisis, we're, we surrendered our freedoms. And then it happens on a global, international scale. Hey, hey Bill, uh, or should I say professor, this is fascinating. I just want to give you kind of like a 90-second warning before the we have to break for the for the uh, segment. So the uh, on a global level as well. So there's the wanting to create global crises that would necessitate um, the, um, uh, you know, uh, even President Bush during the first Gulf War, you know, he's, he gave a speech and he goes, well, this crisis is bad, but out of it can come a new world order and so forth. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so there is some concern over the uh, uh it makes no sense for uh, Assad to kill his own people. Um, and Assad, for years, tried to take care of the small minorities in his country. Why would he gas them all of a sudden? Especially when America was pulling out. Just a couple weeks ago, the president said, we're done in, in Syria. We're moving out. Why would he do something that would want to cause everybody to come back in? Um, Bill, that's the you know the theme of the day, what you talked about, these created crises. Almost every war that we've seen uh, over the last hundred years were, were started in some way by manufactured crises, and we're on the verge of, of doing it again. I cannot wait to meet you yeah, and you, listen to you at in the Occupy Conference. You like what you hear? Yeah, I mean, right there, Professor Bill Federer. Uh, yeah. This is, I mean, to me, this is what it's all about. You just nailed it, my friend. So if you like what you heard with Bill Federer, Occupy 2018, and I'll tell you what, uh, the lesson you just gave, worth a, worth a, uh, really a college uh, semester tuition. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sorry, Joe. Go on. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry we're we're out of time, but we look forward to seeing you in just a few days in Canton. Well, thank you for the the great honor of being on your program, and you're doing a tremendous work, and I'm looking forward to being at the Occupy 2018 conference. Well, we're definitely going to have you back, Bill, and uh, wow. great job, and we'll see you in just a, a week. That'll do it for us. On this hour, we'll be back with Keith Hansen after this. On this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report, we have Keith Hansen, who joins us each Thursday at the 9 o'clock slot, and he's the host of the Keith Hansen Show. Tremendous insight, uh, as he's been friends of the show for a long time. I want to just hit this headline, and then we're going to go to Keith. RNC releases brutal video of Democrats attacking James Comey's credibility. The Republican Party began an all-out assault on disgraced former FBI Director James Comey's credibility ahead of his upcoming book release and his interview with this Sunday with George Stephanopoulos lyingcomey.com is the website and they they put together a one minute video that includes uh, all these different Democrats attacking James Comey and the credibility of, of Comey and the FBI after he reopened the Hillary and Clinton investigation and if you haven't seen it uh, go find it it's a it's an awesome video the Daily Wire actually has a piece up on it many other websites do too Comey in my view is a despicable human being Any, anyone who uh, mob boss Step- Stephanopoulos you gotta be kidding me Keith W uh, I just found it interesting that the that the that the words Comey and uh, credibility were used in the same sentence I didn't think this guy had any period you know, it's uh, it's first of all the you know the raid on Comey's off or uh, Cohen's office. Um, it, it really kind of makes you wonder what's happening to our system of jurisprudence in this country today. And uh, thanks for having me back on again. It's great to be back with you guys. Absolutely, it's hey, great to have you. You're the, you're the man. Plus, what the hell's going on in Vermont? But but and Florida. <laughs> but anyway, you continue. No, it's you know it's it, it, and of course it's you know it's it's logical for for us on the the right side of the argument to turn around and say okay well you remember when the FBI raided the Parkland shooters home after after all the reports that came in you remember when the FBI raided the Zarnoff brothers home when actionable intelligence from a Ford intelligence source informed on several occasions the Federal Bureau of Investigation that these two individuals were likely coming to the United States to engage in Islamic terrorism. You remember when Susan Rice and John Podesta had their homes raided. You remember when they went in and grabbed the paperwork and the hard drives from the offices of Fusion GPS. You remember when they raided the Clinton Foundation and they, 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 they took all the documents from the Clinton Global Initiative. Remember when they raided the summer homes and the winter homes of Bill and Hillary Clinton? Remember those good old days? Yeah, neither hmm. do I. Uh, no. No. Oh, and, and that should tell us all we need to know. Uh, about Mueller, it, 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 this this raid on Donald Trump's office, in my view, I started the, the, the program with this. Can you imagine the message this sends to any attorney? Do you think any attorneys are going to want to represent Donald Trump in any matter now? Plus, well, do you think that's you think that isn't part of the motive? There I, is. Would, I would suggest to you that's part of the motive, and this is also the modus operandi 
uh, you know, of, of the what's what's left of the Obama sympathizers, and there are certainly many, is they go after the fringe. They're going after the people. I mean, it's it's the same thing when you watch the nature videos of the cheetahs or the hyenas that are hunting in the Serengeti Plain. They always go for the animal, the weakest, the infirmed, the most vulnerable. And that the, the ones that aren't that aren't protected by the rest of the pack, and this is you know this is this is exactly how they do this. It, it's a it's a it's an Alinsky tactic that we saw when they were going after his cabinet appointees early on in his administration. They go after the fringe, they go after the weak, they'll focus on one person, they hammer, 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 hammer. And you know here here's the bottom line with this. I mean, I'm not an attorney, but I got to ask you this: Where is the crime? They were there allegedly to find out whether or not Cohen paid off a porn star. Where's the crime in that? Well, they're alleging that it's well, wire fraud because yeah. the money he got from a bank to make that payment, apparently he did not disclose the reasons uh, for receiving the loan, which who knows if he did or didn't. It, it, it's a joke. And where is the where is the underlying crime uh, to have the special prosecutor uh, implemented Robert Mueller. Where's Where's Donald Trump's underlying crime, and, and, which is a reason for a special prosecutor? Well, contrast the the, the sanctity of the uh, attorney-client privilege with with the with Donald Trump against the sanctity or the uh, really non-existent attorney-client privilege with Cheryl Mills when uh, during the Hillary Clinton um, uh, interview. And Hillary Clinton turned to Cheryl Mills and said, okay, invoking attorney-client privilege when they're co-conspirators. When, in fact, um, Clinton and Mills, co-conspirators, invoking attorney-client privilege, FBI hands off. Mueller, on this case, no, not so much. It's no, a it's a double standard. standard. It's a double standard. And, you know, I, I, I was having a, a period of time, I was talking about this on my show earlier in the week, and I said, you know, Donald Trump is either one of two things. Um, Do- Donald Trump is either the criminal mastermind of humanity. This guy is either the smartest criminal that has ever existed in the history of humanity, or there's absolutely nothing there. Because after, what is it, 18 months now, there's still nothing. Nothing. But they continue to throw everything that they possibly can to further this narrative. And what it is, is they, they, they've, they arrived at the conclusion, and now it's we have to do everything that we possibly can to build credibility to the conclusion that we've already determined. Which is kind of the reverse way of doing things. Yeah. Normally, you, you find the evidence, you conduct the investigation, and then you let the investigation and the evidence gathered via that investigation determine what the conclusion is. But this was not the case. Yeah, and this is why everything's so upside down in this country uh, politically with this political divide. And I, I just don't get it how they're able to continue to get away with this stuff. And it really shows, uh, you know, the integrity of people like Jeff Sessions. I mean, where, why are we not hearing from the attorney general on uh, him coming out and denouncing th- these behaviors? Why? Are, where are the people who are in positions of power who are going to defend against this kind of behavior. We don't see that, and that's a huge problem, in my opinion, and it's a huge indicator of where we are. Well, there's one thing, and I guess this is is where my pragmatic, quasi-optimistic side comes out. I would like to think that just as Donald Trump has made crystal clear, as president and also on the campaign trail, that he recognizes and understands the importance of operational security, so too would he demand operational security of the people in his administration. So I would like to think that there is something that's being done, that there's a plan that's being laid out and efforts being made to further that plan 
which is just not being leaked for the purposes of operational security. I'd, I'd like to think that. I would like to think that too, but <laughs> you have to wonder with everything else being leaked, even uh, contents of Trump's personal conversations with world leaders and uh, cabinet meetings and whatnot, all that being leaked. I have a hard time seeing uh, you know, them putting information or, or plans together that aren't leaked. But let me ask you this, Keith. What is the president's best course of action now? Should he fire Rosenstein? Should he fire Mueller? Should he stay in there? Maybe pardon some of these people uh, like General Flynn. What's his best course of action? Your- oh boy, I you know I mean there's 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 so many different possibilities here. If if he pardons, that's going to infuriate the left. Um, if he fires, I I think you know it was, it was a Whoopi Goldberg that said, well it would be great to watch the back and watch the rioting that yep. would occur if if he were to fire people. Um, you know the, the the public reaction aside. And, and I always love the reactions from the public, from people who think they have even a basic understanding of law and don't. Um, I, you know, there's so many different possibilities here and so many different courses of action that he could take. Which one is the best? I, you know, I, I don't know at this point. I, I really don't know because I don't have the benefit of having all the information. I would, again, that's, and that's kind of why I go back to the, and I'm not trying to obfuscate. I, I'm, I'm trying to go to back that. to, if I can just interject, look, I, I, here's my belief. They're going to impeach Donald Trump regardless, period. Look, look uh, because Mueller, as special counsel, and Rosenstein, for example, who appointed uh, Mueller, because they're under the purview of the DOJ, and because it is constitutional that that Donald Trump could fire both, fire both. Mm-hmm. And it, because impeachment, it, to me, is is, a, is what they're going for. But they'll never get a conviction of 67 senators in, in the Senate, I don't believe. But anyway, that's just my Well, idea. I would imagine the only way that they're actually going to wind up getting a, getting a, an impeachment is if we lose control of the House or the Senate or both. And, you know, one of the things I would caution your listeners now, you're starting to hear an awful lot of, of, of Democrat Operatives and Democrat analysts talking about this blue. Now it started off as the blue tsunami. Now it's the blue wave. There's this huge, or there's the blue wave, and now it's the blue tsunami. That you know, this it's supposed to be this wholesale hyper wipeout come midterms. Um, I, I would caution your listeners to to not buy into that. I think a lot of that is hyperbole designed to to really try to sway before the elections the opinions of a lot of voters that it doesn't even make sense for you to get out of the Barco lounger and, and go vote. Um, so I would certainly, you know, not put a lot of stock into that. But, you know, I mean, listen, the, yeah, the, the, of course they can impeach. I mean, Bill Clinton was impeached. Didn't mean that he was convicted and removed from office. Um, it, it, the likelihood, I, I, I don't necessarily think that I mean, we're going to wind up seeing the impeachment of Trump again unless you wind up having a situation where we're losing control of both the House and the Senate. Um, I mean, there's certainly people like Auntie Maxine that would like nothing more. She's How long has she been... Uh, you know, I mean, she was calling for his impeachment before he was even even inaugurated. So, you know, there, there's this this lunatic fringe on the left that believes that the answer to their problems is just simply removing Donald Trump. Well, here's the other thing you got to keep in mind: if Donald Trump is for whatever reason unable to carry out the duties of the office, who ascends to the office of president? It's not going to be Nancy Pelosi. It's not going right. to be Harry Reid. It's not going to be uh, Chuckle Schumer. So, you know, uh, one way or another. uh, Real real quick, Keith, one of the reasons I know you're right on uh, this just being a talking point, this just being, uh, you know, wishful thinking on the left trying to discourage, energize their base and discourage the opposition, is that you never see these people actually break down 
uh, how they think this is going to end up being this blue wave. You never see them look at the, the races and say, all right, well, the Democrats are ready to take these seats and this many seats and uh, the, the Senate's going to you know, go this way. You don't see any of the actual breakdowns of, of the races and how they expect them to play out. It's just the mm-hmm. talking points of, oh, this, you know, this majority. Well, that's, of that's what a lot of it is. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's the regurgitation of bullet points, but there's no concrete plan behind it. They don't have a plan. They don't have an agenda. They don't have anything moving forward that would bolster their argument or even allow them to present a cogent argument on this. So I, you know, it, it's, I think a lot of it is just posturing and I think a lot of it is wishful thinking. And then I think a lot of it is progressives buying into their own constituents postmodernistic concept that if I will it or if I believe it somehow as if through some form of progressive magic that I'm going to will it into existence. So I, I would like to think that, that he's secure. Um, you know, I, I, I could be wrong. I've certainly been wrong on many things before. And uh, I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are really, really trying to connect the dots here, dare I even say confabulate, because there's just not a lot of information. And I think a lot of that is deliberate, again, because he's smart enough to understand the importance and, moreover, the sanctity of operational security. And so a lot of information is not going to be released out. And that's why you've got all the pundits that are out there that are, I mean, coming up with some of the most outlandish theories Hey, you know what? It sounds good. And if it gets me 60 seconds or 90 seconds or five minutes on, on one of the major uh, news networks, then, you know, it's it's good exposure for me. So I think that's what you could be seeing. I, I agree 100%. Keith, I want to kind of switch gears and ask you about Syria. We all week have been anticipating a United States strike against Syria in some form or fashion in retaliation or response to the alleged chemical weapons attack. Mm. Even with the president, candidate Trump and President Trump being on the right side of this issue in the past in 2013 and in 2016, it seems that he, for whatever reason, or at least is giving the impression that uh, he's buying this you know, hook, line, and sinker. Do you think, because mm. he issued that warning Monday, 24 to 48 hours, we haven't seen anything yet. Do you think that he's uh, taken a step back to reconsider his position? Where, where do you think... With these uh, tweets that go both ways, it seems, you know, we're going to strike Syria, we're not going to strike Syria. Do you think that he remembers those years before? I, I think he does. Um, I mean, again, it's it's you're in a really precarious situation over there. What we're what we're seeing now is yet another Afghanistan developing, where there's this proxy war that's going on. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, um, I do a, about a 20 minute hit with the editor of the Media Line in Jerusalem, Michael Friedson, um, and he's right there. He and his wife, they're American journalists. They started a media group uh, over there, and uh, they've they've had tremendous success. And so, like I said, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'll reach out to him. We do a 20-minute hit on my show, and, and we're talking about the, the news over there. And so this, of course, was a, a dominating theme here on Monday and also on uh, – I mean, a lot seemed to develop over the past weekend. So, of course, we opened up on Monday with that. And, you know, the, the bottom line is this. I, I think you, you saw a lot of posturing. It's like watching two peacocks, um, you know, when they, when they display the plumage in an attempt to try to win the female and – dissuade the male from trying to take what the other male perceives as his. You saw that with Kim Jong-un, and now you see Kim Jong-un backing down, or at least operating under the perception, or giving the perception, that he's backing down. I really don't think that Putin is really dumb enough to push 
Trump, although I will say there were reports coming out that Russian state television uh, was making announcements for citizens to start prepping, in essence, they were. In, they were. in gathering materials that, um, you know, would uh, would be necessary in the event of World War III. How far are they willing to push this? I think you got to remember one thing. I think that the concept of mutually assured destruction um, virtually guarantees that if there was some pushing and shoving um, beyond just the posturing, I would again. Maybe this is where my. Maybe I really am more of an optimist than I am a pragmatist. I would like to think that neither side is going to allow this to escalate to the point where annihilation is on the immediate horizon. And do I think uh, do I think that America is going to strike? I, th I think I think at this point I think there, there there's going to be there's going to be yes there's going to be some missile involvement over there. To what degree? Um, whether or not it's it's going to be a strategic target or whether or not it's just going to be a display of force. See, we can. What are you going to do? It's like throwing down the gauntlet and then saying, okay, well you know, great, I've made my move. Now what's yours on that proverbial political international chessboard? That remains to be seen. I would like to think that neither side, again, is stupid enough to push it to the point where there is no other option but to go all out. And I, I can't imagine that that would happen. There's far too much at stake. Yeah, my concern is if the U.S. does launch a strike, either uh, just a, a either way, whatever it looks like, if they are going to keep to their word about not only attempting to shoot down those missiles but also to target the vessels which launched the missiles, which could certainly escalate the situation immediately if that happens. So I guess it's a matter of will Russia um, follow up with the threats that they've made so far. And I did see the video where they were talking mm -hmm. to their citizens about what to, you know, what is storable for how long, and you know what is good to, to keep in. Uh, these doomsday type situations. So they were, they did do those reports. You know, I just really miss the miss the days when, you know, when when John Kerry and Hillary Clinton were sitting down with Bashar al-Assad and and just you know having having dinner and really hacking out the the, the, the major issues. God, those were the good old days. Yeah, right. I, uh, was that in between the the uh, Benghazi <laughs> moments or? Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, at what point they were on the timeline, I'm not 100% certain, but I love the, uh, somebody had sent me a, a folio of pictures, um, where, uh, both of them were sitting down on a number of occasions, uh, with, with, uh, Assad. And, uh, it just, it, it really kind of makes you wonder, I mean, beyond aid to ISIS, um, what else was in the package that, that kept the good relations flowing. And, the, and the, that's the, one of the arguments that uh, many are making is, why is the United States uh, going to become the air force of ISIS when the Russians and the pro-Assad Syrian government troops have been fighting the Islamic State? Why are we uh, going to get in the way with that and, and go counter to that? It makes no sense whatsoever. But, uh, Keith, just in the last few minutes we have left, I want to ask you about Paul Ryan. He says he's going to he's going to step down, not seek re-election. Uh, do you think this, this is his own personal preference, as he said, or do you think that there's more at play here with what we were talking about with the 2018 midterms? Uh, and should he resign now, or should do you think he should stay until after the election? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've been trying to find a little more information on this to, to really try to make as much of an educated deduction as I possibly can on this. Uh, I mean, his, his points for wanting to leave for his family certainly are compelling. You could certainly understand that. Um, 
you know, I, I, again, I'm going to have to invoke my my pragmatism here and say that you know maybe this is a guy who truly understood what it meant to be a citizen legislator. You go to Washington, you do your time, and then you get out. This isn't a career. Um, I know one of his major goals was to pass significant tax reform. He achieved that goal. Um, it's certainly, the the story that he puts out that you know he he wants to be there for his kids, uh, that he came to, he did what he what he set out to do. Uh, certainly, for somebody his age, uh, is um, an outstanding achievement to become the, the Speaker of the House. Uh, is is he leaving for his own personal reasons? I think a lot of it is 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 also influenced by. I think that decision is heavily influenced by the fact that it doesn't appear as though they're able to get a lot done. Um, and I think it's got to be very very frustrating for him because I think he wants to he wants to appease the the establishment Republicans in the House and in the Senate. Um, I think he wants them to see him as a team player, but I think he also wants to be seen as having some degree of solidarity with President Trump, and you can't do both. Yeah. And no. so it's it's you know it it may just be hey listen this is you know this is the best time for me right now. Um, is this going to affect? I, I I don't think necessarily that his leaving at this point in time is either going to cause or facilitate in any way this rumored blue wave any more than him staying. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The one thing that I would take some degree of solace in is knowing that I talked to so many people who, again, have gotten significant bonuses from the company that they work for, and they've gotten significantly more money in their paycheck as a result of the Republican tax plan having been pushed through. I would like to think that the people who ultimately swung the election for Donald Trump, preventing, shudder, a Hillary Clinton presidency, have begun to feel the effects. I think it's also very telling as well that the Democrats are so interested in DACA, making sure that all of these people can vote. We have spoken about this before on your show, as well as on mine, that the Democrats are losing a lot of their base. There are a number of millennials that are actually starting to wake up and are starting to go over to the Republican side. You're starting to see a lot of the manufacturing unions that are losing their base. Really, when you look at it, union involvement in the Democrat Party is relegated to what? Social services and education. But by and large, a lot of the hardcore Democrats uh, that, um, you know, that, that, were, that were voting for Obama, they jumped ship. They realized that they were being sold a false bill of goods that Donald Trump was speaking directly to them in a language that they could understand, that wasn't pandering to them, but that was speaking to him. And that's one of the things I have to say, having attended so many of his speeches, he really is a, a master orator for the simple reason that when he speaks to you, he speaks to you. He's not talking down to you, and you feel as though you're making a connection with him. And that's one of the things that I've noticed when I'm when I'm in the room with people where he's speaking, that seems to be the predominant sentiment, is that he's, he understands what we're going through. I mean, this is a guy who, on 9-11, left his office and went down to ground zero and said, what can I do to help? This is a guy, I think, who understands the common person. Yes, he's not a common person, but I think if you were to take Hillary Clinton and her understanding of what it is to be a common person and Donald Trump, 
I think actions certainly speak louder than words. I think Trump is the kind of person who the that the, that the you know the, the people in flyover country, you know those regions of the country where you know it's just rusted steel belts and and churches and you know these are the places that the Democrats would never ever touch down in. That's why it's flyover country. This is country that, well, it's simply the area that I pass over as I'm going from metropolitan Mecca A to metropolitan Mecca B. This is the place where Donald Trump campaigned heavily. And what he did was deliver a message that resonated with the average American, with the person that has to make decisions about, well, geez, if I wind up seeing another 50 or 60% increase in my health care premiums, I'm going to have to eliminate something else from my family budget. These are the people that are the backbone of this country. The, the small business owners who contribute so much to our economy. Trump understands that. These were, these were people and entities that were held in the deepest of contempt by progressive Democrats. And I think, by and large, America said no to this. I really think, after everything that's happened, especially with the tax cuts, especially with the boom in the economy. Now, you know, I heard a number the other day from an economist, 5.1% 5, 5 for GDP growth. That's unheard mm -hmm. of. Yeah. But it's now realistic. It's realistic because people, businesses, are now making investments in their businesses here because, why? Because, hey, <laughs> I'm looking at the weather forecast, proverbially, and it's going to be two weeks of 82-degree sunshine. Let's get out and enjoy this. Let's take advantage of this. Let's free up some of that cash we've been sitting on, make capital investments into our business, hire more people, reward hard work and talent, build our bottom line. The one thing I'm concerned about, the growing debt. And that's something that we don't have time to really talk about tonight. But it's something that I think needs to be addressed because that the debt is out of control. And we've been saying this for how long now? It's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Yeah, we've got to get that we've got to get that debt under control. Now there was a promise that was made, or at least there was an I don't know if I wouldn't go as far as to say a promise, but there was an acknowledgement made by Trump that by the end of his second term, that he would be able to eliminate that debt. I'd love to see a plan. I'd love to see something that says, okay, well, what are we now going to do in the last six and a half years? Because we we, we got to we got to get cracking on this. That's an ambitious goal. But if there's anybody who would be able to even come close to doing that, I think it's President Trump. I agree, and, and uh, you know, very successful uh, real estate mogul. He does know uh, how to, how to negotiate. He does know how to get things done, and. I, I would, I mean, all of America would love nothing more than, than to see that happen. Then what you just said, you know, reminds me of a headline I saw today. Feds, we see this every month, every quarter. Feds collect record income taxes through March, still run $600 billion deficit. That, I mean, it's unsustainable. We can't continue to, to be like this. And, and we have not seen those changes under Trump, especially with his signing of the omnibus, uh, the funding bill. Keith, we are at the end of the segment. I want to thank Man. you so much for, uh, this great awesome. insight. The Keith Hansen Show. Listen to The Keith Hansen Show. Good friend of the program, Keith Hansen. Thank you, Keith. Guys, thank you. Have a great night. Talk next All week. Right, you bro. too. All right. Bye-bye. Follow Keith at Real Keith Hansen on Twitter. Gonna be right back.
better and better and better. And uh, right now we've got uh, with us the executive editor of Western, the Western Journal, westernjournal.com, George Upper. I love his uppercuts. That's right, uppercuts. Uh, reference to his, uh, his writings at Western, at the Western Journal. Um, he's a tremendous man. He, in fact, he was on our show. I, I was not here. John and Joe had taken the, uh, taken the interview, but, uh, do we have him? Okay, we're, we're working on getting them. But one one uh, piece of commentary that got my attention at westernjournal.com is the uppercut, here's what Facebook is really doing to your news feed. And this goes back to February 19th when it was published there. But when you when you look back in, in, uh, uh, in the scheme, subsequent to Zuckerberg's uh, testimony, congressional testimony, and you read this again, boy, it makes sense. Of course, uh, we're not talking about Mark Zuckerberg here. Uh, we'll, we'll call him uh, Bark Tuckerberg. Again, George Upper, the uppercut. This guy, this guy is one of the best. I'm going to tell you something. He's, he, as the executive editor of Western Journal, he's got. Uh, I long to write like this man, and, and he's a, he's a great. He offers some absolutely phenomenal commentary. Uh, assessments as well. I mean, this, this guy is, is fantastic. I am so pleased to be a part of this uh, this interview with uh, our very special guest, George Opper from WesternJournal.com. George, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure, man. I'll tell you what you you, <laughs> you hit him out of the park. I was just I was just uh, marveling about going. If you go back to February nineteenth, you you had the uppercut. Um, here's what Facebook is really doing to your newsfeed, and the and the word picture that you create with that article. It, <laughs> you know. Well, thank you. Man. That's. Uh... That's high praise, especially coming from you, sir. Well, thanks. And, and I, 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 I look back. I look at that, and then, uh, uh, you know, this uh, snowflake Zuckerberg. I don't know. What did they drag him out of a coffin? Put him on up on a high chair after you know, cleaning yeah. him up. I mean, really, what the heck is going on with that? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that was him. I think he may have had a robot, you know, standing in some sort of android. It was. It was a bizarre performance. Man, it, it, it was it me or, or uh, no, exactly? Uh, this guy is is awkward. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, and that's being nice. I don't yeah. know. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's that's being kind. Oh my! Well, you know what, George? Again, uh, folks, our guest is George Upper, uh, the Western Journal, WesternJournal.com. He's the executive editor, the Uppercut. Some of his uh, uh, commentary, of course. Uh, well. I, again, it's it's my pleasure to, to to speak with you. What's on your radar today in your sites? What are you looking at? That um, well, I would defer to you on this because you got your like your fingers on the pulse of a lot of things going on. What do you what do you, what do you think is most important uh, in terms of news triage or events triage? You know, uh, that is a great question, and I think it's a hard one. Uh, to answer, um, which is probably why you're making me answer it. <laughs> yeah, uh, why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Syria, of, of course, is, is huge. Um, what exactly, uh, the Trump administration is going to do there and how Russia might or might not react. Uh, China as, you know, we, last week it was all China. It was trade war, China. Now, um, now that China's made some 
conciliatory gestures there, or at least uh, uh, made some some uh, sounds like they're going to. Uh, that's well, mainstream media doesn't want to talk about that. That sounds too much like a Trump win, so we're not okay. going to be seeing that on MSNBC this week. Um, and of course, Zuckerberg's testimony is everywhere. I mean, that's certainly doing what we do here at the Western Journal all day. Um, his testimony before Congress uh, was huge. We we uh, uh, paid close attention to what he said and uh, what he didn't say, what he tried not to say, tried to get away with not saying. Right. Uh, I, but honestly, to me, the most compelling thing about that testimony was how you mentioned uh, deer in the headlights earlier, and he he very much gave that impression, um, but specifically he seemed totally unprepared and in fact surprised by uh, questions that had to do with bias against conservative media uh, I, I'm sure you saw as, as many people did the uh, pictures that were taken of his notes I think an AP photographer oh, yeah. if I recall correctly saw his, uh, his speaking notes there was nothing in those notes that prepared him to address questions about bias, you know, pro-liberal, anti-conservative, however you want to look at it, which tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me he needs somebody else prepping him for testimony like this because that was a tremendous miss. But it also tells me, I think, how tone-deaf Facebook really is about this issue. I, I don't think they expected to be asked this because they walk around Silicon Valley all day and they don't ask each other this. Nobody there asks them this. Uh, they're, they're, uh, I think they truly were surprised that this was a big issue. And there aren't enough people talking about that, I think. The, the total tone deafness that Mark Zuckerberg displayed uh, yeah, primarily yesterday, both days really a testimony, but it really was loud and clear yesterday, uh, the, that to just not be prepared, to not even think that somebody might bring up the subject of uh, bias against conservative media on Facebook. It's all conservative media is talking about right now. Uh, so they're clearly not getting uh, uh, their news in, in an unbiased way. They're clearly not paying attention, they meaning Facebook, although I think we could probably broaden that to other uh, Silicon Valley powerhouses. Uh, they're not paying attention to what America is talking about because America is certainly talking about that. A good swath of America is anyway. Um, so it just shows you how out of touch these folks are. They say they want to bring news that's relevant to people and commentary and conversation and engagement that's relative to their readers. I think Mark Zuckerberg did a wonderful job yesterday demonstrating that he has absolutely no clue what's relevant to the average American today. Yeah. And I think that's a huge story that, that we need to be talking more about. And I agree. Looking at his uh, his notes, he was he had no as you said, nothing in there about the uh the bias against conservatives, but he did have stuff in there to defend himself if any of them asked about him needing or the, indicating that he should resign from Facebook. Uh that right. was what half the, the page was about. And I don't know if you got this impression while watching him. I don't want to go to, too far down a conspiratorial road, but watching him answer these questions and just the the deer in the headlights look, everything that I saw made me wonder if he's even smart enough or capable enough to create something like Facebook and how 
much of a, of a government influence, a DARPA influence that we've heard so much about, uh, was mm-hmm. behind this because it didn't seem to me that he could even answer basic questions, let alone create this social media giant. Well, I, I, I think that's a good a good point. I think it raises questions that need to be asked. I do think it's not all that – I don't want to get too stereotypical here, but I don't think it's too atypical to have people who come up with um, just, you know, brilliant innovation who are a little out of step. You know, the the if I can say normal, whatever that word means – um, the everyday America, you know, for, for somebody to come up with innovation like Facebook, which is huge and hugely different, something we've never seen before. Um, some, you've got to be able to think a little differently than the average bear, I think, to be able to come up with that. Uh, and as I'm sure you know, there are lots of different kinds of smart, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's emotional intelligence and there's, uh, you know, pattern recognition. There's all kinds of different things. So I don't have a lot of trouble believing that. Facebook is Mark Zuckerberg's brainchild, so to speak. Um, but that doesn't make him a leader. Uh, it doesn't make him any sort of political thinker. Um, and you guys know as well as I do, probably better than I do, uh, all of the talk about him potentially wanting to run for president in 2020. Um, I think that would be a disaster. <laughs> I think it would be a disaster on a personal level for him. I think he'd be humiliated. I think yesterday demonstrated that um, you know these these were folks who uh, they had serious questions to ask but uh, you know nobody was really trying to break a relationship there nobody was really even the most conservative folks there for the most part really weren't hostile to Mark Zuckerberg imagine him facing a hostile uh, press corps for instance um, <laughs> not that it would be all that hostile hostile coming you know as from the left as he does. Uh, they, they'd agree with him most of the time, but, you know, clearly without somebody there whispering answers into his ear, a Mark Zuckerberg presidential candidacy, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, the right word for it. Joke is what comes to mind. It exactly. Would be, it would be a sad joke and, it, but it would, it wouldn't be a funny joke. It'd be one of those jokes that make you cringe and embarrassment because, because it's just so painful to watch. Um, so I, I think, among other things, I think one of the things that happened yesterday is Mark Zuckerberg's polit- political career uh, died a born. I don't, I don't think there's any way <laughs> to recover from that. Well, okay, and, and since we're on the topic of Facebook here, because uh, I, I guess at the epicenter of, of this, in, at least in my in my personal opinion, is the war against conservatives, the war against Christian conservatives, the war against right. the, you know the, the, the truth. I mean. My, right. my goodness. I, look, we've had Diamond and Silk on our show and, and, and of course, what would happen with them, uh, and, and, and Facebook. Uh, this is really at, at the heart of this. Isn't this all about keeping the truth from the masses and, and, and maintaining that narrative that the leftist liberal lunatics are, are, are the great saviors of the, of the universe. I mean, isn't that what this is all about? And Hillary does no wrong and Obama's a king and, um, you know, yeah. morals and values don't exist anymore. And, you know, what the hell, what the heck's wrong with you? If you, if you believe in traditional marriage, for example, uh, right. you're, you're a terrorist. I mean, isn't that what it, we're facing here in the larger sense? Yeah, in the larger sense, I would say it's uh, it's sort of a two-pronged attack. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. There is and and always has been an attack on the truth. Um, 
you know, there are people, and when I say truth there, you know, I mean capital T truth. Uh, there are folks from time immemorial who um, have uh, have attacked even the very concept uh, of the existence of absolute truth, which is always one of my favorite arguments. Uh, you know, you, the only way to make that argument is to say there's no such thing about uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth, except this one. That's the only way you can make that argument. The statement, there is no absolute truth, is a statement of absolute truth. So uh, that's always a fun conversation to have with, with liberals. But, you know, go back to to uh, the very beginning. Go back to uh, the Garden of Eden, and you've got, is that, you've got the serpent asking uh, Eve, is that really what he said? Did God really tell you that? The, the attack on truth has always been present. And so... Uh, when and that's all we're interested in at Western Journal. Where we yes, we come from the right, but that's because we believe the right is where the truth is. And if Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, heaven help us, Nancy Pelosi says something that we believe to be true, then we're all for that. We don't have any problem uh, agreeing with somebody who we disagree with 98% of the time uh, on those occasions when they say something that's true. Uh, so uh, that's that's just who we are. Yeah, it, it's Western, westernjournal.com, by the way, is George's, uh, he's executive uh, editor of westernjournal.com, the Western Journal. Uh, folks, bookmark that, westernjournal.com. It's required show prep here at the Hagman Report. Uh, it's not really about the messenger. It's about the message. It's not, so, so you're, you're 100% right. accurate. Um and I've and I've seen evidence of of your you do well in 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 giving credit where it's due, um, regardless of who's saying it. The other the other thing we will happily do is uh, admit when we're wrong. We do make mistakes, as any publisher does. Sometimes you're in a, a hurry to get a story out, and um, uh, you know you get details wrong or or uh, uh, you fall for a, a false report, whatever. Um, that happens. Um, the difference between the Western Journal and the New York Times, well, one of the differences, I'm happy to say there are a number of differences between the Western Journal and the New York Times, but one of them is that we'll put right at the top of the story uh, in bold letters, uh, you know, update or correction or whatever is called for, as opposed to burying something at the bottom of page 20 uh, in the New York Times after the damage has already been done. Uh, one of the left's favorite tricks is to, uh, uh, you know, run just a crazy story under a ridiculous headline uh, that they know is is not true, that they know cannot be verified. And then uh, two days later, after the damage has been done, after it becomes uh, known, uh, and I'll put air quotes around that word if I can, after it becomes known that these things are true, then they issue the correction. Uh, well buried, uh, well after the story is, uh, you know, gone from public consciousness. They've planted what they want you to believe. And so, yeah, they can come back and say, oh, yeah, we retracted that. Sure. Well, 20 million people read the story and 20 people read the retraction. Uh, left does that all the time. And we don't blame CNN or the New York Times or any of these folks for making mistakes. Everybody does that. Mm-hmm. It's how you handle the mistake in the aftermath uh, that shows what your actual intention is, what you're trying to do as an organization, as a journalist, uh, as somebody who claims at least to be interested uh, in truth. 
uh, one of the things that we say at, at Western Journal is that uh, we, we are um, not um, praying that God will be on our side as, as we try to disseminate truth. We're praying that we would be on his side because there is someone out there uh, who has a real interest in truth. And, uh, you know, we, we feel like if, as long as we are uh, aligning ourselves as best we can with him, in the end, things turn out okay. Uh, George, I want to ask you this, kind of switching gears here, but still talking about sure. the media. Have you, this really hasn't been reported too much, but have you seen the story about the Department of Homeland Security creating a, wanting to create a media database? I have seen that story. Um, and, you know, what, what disturbed me, you, you mentioned earlier not wanting to sound too conspiratorial. Well, well, there's one thing that kind of triggers uh, that button for me, and that's how the um, the response or the disclaimer is worded. And so DHS, after this became uh, published, publicized, they came out with a statement which really essentially read, nothing to see here. That's about mm-hmm. what they said. No, nothing to see here. Move along. Um, the, the statement was largely that, you know, this is the kind of stuff we do every day. Well, that's not a response. That's that's not an answer. Um, yeah. You know, there's a report that says we're doing something. Oh, by the way, we're doing it, but don't worry about it. That was essentially the response. Um, that's not, you know, I don't know what we're supposed to do with that information. I think it's... Um, if the, if DHS or any government agency wants to sort of crawl the media and find stories about it as an agency so it can understand what people are saying about it in, in case there's something they feel they need to respond to or there's fake news out there, um, I'm really starting to get tired of that phrase. But, uh, you know, those, those reports get out there, and so there are rumors they might want to combat or whatever. Fine. I don't have a problem with that. I don't even have... A problem spending taxpayer dollars on it because you ought to be able to do it fairly cheaply. Um, if, but if what they're doing is broader than that, is characterizing, which is what this project sounded like to me, characterizing not only publishers but journalists, individual journalists, understanding where they are physically located, um, what types of stories they write about, what they've written recently, that's more problematic to me, um, not necessarily because the intention of it uh, is wrong or um, um, you know insidious in some way, but because it's one of those things that the government can start with with uh, the most innocent of motives, and then a new administration comes in, and all of a sudden uh, they have access to this kind of information. It's the same kind of argument we'd often make. I would I would think you guys would probably make this argument as well against. Uh, uh, most forms of gun registration. It, I, I don't want the government to know everything I have in my home. Um, and while I really don't probably care all that much whether the Trump administration knows, because I feel fairly safe in my Second Amendment rights under the Trump administration, Trump administration ain't always going to be there, and heaven only knows who's coming next. So, same argument. I'm I'm really not all that excited about DHS. Um, having a, uh, a personal file labeled George Upper or, or labeled the Western Journal and, um, you know, keeping track of, uh, 
you know, on what date I filed my taxes and what my last three columns were about and, uh, uh, you know, my, my calorie intake, which I'll just be happy to tell them is way too high. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't, they don't need a, a drone or a spy satellite to, to figure that out. I'll just show them my donut receipts. That'll take care of that. Um, but, but, but isn't this, George, I, I apologize for interrupting, but isn't, no. isn't, isn't this what we're seeing here? I mean, I mean, to me, that that's chilling. Uh, what right. we're, okay, and even well, that's chilling. But so is chilling the um, uh, the, uh, the the lawfare that we see taking place. The um, the the, uh, the the censorship. California Democrat uh, Richard Pan just introduced this. So well, introduced last month, or actually maybe it might have been a, a Forty-five days ago, under the radar SB fourteen twenty-four, uh, requiring it's a bill, not not a law, but requiring uh, California websites and, and, and to to use fact checkers. Look, you know, who, and, and who's checking on the fact checkers, and and what's the end game here? It's all it's all about to be about censorship of of really information against the uh, elite, if you will. Yeah, I uh, can't, can't disagree with that at all. Um, the left's favorite game is censorship, uh, you know, and censorship of everything. Uh, control the past and you control the future. So, uh, you know, this censorship is such a broad topic, such a broad issue right now. It goes everywhere from uh, tearing down statues of uh, Confederate officers, uh, to renaming schools, uh, who, you know, because the, the person they're named after isn't politically correct anymore for whatever reason, uh, usually made up, by the way. Um, hate crimes, you know, we talked a lot, uh, yesterday about hate speech. That phrase came up over and over again in Zuckerberg's testimony. Yep. Um, I, that phrase is essentially meaningless. Uh, d- what, d- define it. Define hate, define fake news for me. Exactly. What, what uh, hate speech is something I disagree with. I mean, right. I, you know, uh, the, and I don't know how you could do it other other than that. Um, free speech, is, as uh, I think we talked about this last time I was here, free speech is a scary, dangerous right. Uh, it is scary. It is dangerous. It is uh, if free speech is is exercised properly, it should make you uncomfortable. And um, that includes hate speech, so-called hate speech. Uh, there are people yep. Yep. with whom I would vehemently disagree about all kinds of issues. Um, I'll use race as as the easy one that everyone likes to uh, likes to go to. There are people I would vehemently disagree with on the uh, you know ultra ultra far right um, and on the left uh, about race. At the same time, uh, you know I will defend all day long their right to offend me with what I consider to be ridiculous opinions. Um, not well formed, uh, not thought out, not logical in any way. Uh, but it, you have your right to your opinion, you have your right to express it, and uh, and I will defend that right, no matter how much I disagree with you. And then, you know, hopefully afterwards we'll talk later and I'll tell you what the truth is, but um, it, <laughs> word for where we are right now when it comes to uh, free speech and censorship. You, you know, I, I regardless of what you think of, of, for example, Alex Jones or Roger Stone or right. 
uh, Lee Stranahan, or I'm just trying to think of others. I attended a press conference in D.C., just got back yesterday, that press conference that Jones had. Um, right. And the attorney for uh, the attorney there, um, I, this, his name escapes me right now, but uh, very, very well versed in the First Amendment issues. I mean, it it, it doesn't matter. Um, the Constitution is is pretty pretty solid in the issue of free speech. I guess that was the the point I was trying to make. Even if it's even if it's offensive, I mean, it seems as if today someone gets their feelings hurt. They right. they they try to weaponize the, the the federal court system or the court system. And they, they they try to rec- get recom- recompense uh, via the court system, which is just totally wrong. Or or I mean, it's it's all about hurt feelings these days, not about much more than that. And uh, but the ideological divide is so deep that the the weaponization of all of this and the the the, the free speech is, is so much under attack. And by the way, so is the Second Amendment, and I don't think that's by accident. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. You you need the second to protect the first. And uh, I think folks are um, on both sides are well aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I just I wanted to th- toss it out there because the the um it, it just again regardless of, uh, of of what you think about it, 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 this is America. We still have rights. We have the rights to our own opinions. So they could be wrong. So what? Um, and I understand. You know, we don't have the rights rights to our own facts. But generally speaking, uh, um. The, the most well-intentioned out there, and and you said that you said yourself too about making mistakes and you know putting up corrections. It uh, happens. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I, I just you know just going deep into this, it just it, it's very frustrating to me to to watch uh, this d- decline. And then you see like circling back to Zuckerberg, uh, th- yeah. this clueless this clueless snotty-nosed kid man up there just. You know where'd that come from? Basically, I know it's just amazing to watch. No, uh, I, I completely agree. Here's a guy worth billions of dollars. Um, you know, he's worth more money than I'm ever going to see. <laughs> uh, he's he's lost. Uh, he's probably foolishly lost more money than I'm ever going to see. Uh, and and in some ways, brilliant. I, th- I think you know it'd be hard to argue that at least in some at some level at some some scope he is he's a brilliant man. Um, but he did, he was not looking like a leader yesterday. He looked out of touch with um, his end users. He looked out of touch with his own company. There were uh, numerous occasions where, uh, you know, almost every question, in fact, he his response was, I'll have to get back to you on that. Um, he appeared at some points to deny some things that his company is very clearly doing, and in fact, has said they would do. Uh, Campbell Brown is his um, you know, former CNN anchor who uh, works now with publishers. She's a vice president, works with with uh, publishers on Facebook. Has said um, maybe two months ago now. Said now Facebook has an opinion now. We have a point of view. That was her phrase. Facebook now. Uh, we never did before, but now we have a point of view. And Zuckerberg just spent two days on Capitol Hill trying to argue they don't have a point of view. <laughs> they are totally neutral when it comes to ideology. Well, you know, one of them is either stupid or lying. Well said. One of them stupid. So, <laughs> you know, do the math. Well, very well said. Our guest is George Upper. 
uh, westernjournal.com. It's one of my, becoming uh, one of my uh, oh, most frequent sites, show, and I find myself uh, anymore at least taking one article and posting it up on Hagman Report each day. And George, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, you do great work. We need more more people like you, more people like the Western Journal out there providing us um, news through, for the, the purposes of, of providing the truth not so much a political ideology and uh we really do appreciate it and thank you for coming on always a pleasure gentlemen oh god bless you my friend it was, it was such a great honor to, to be able to talk with you kind of face to face but uh i missed you last time i'm, I'm gl- so glad i got a chance to talk to you this time my brother you stay safe out there thank you so much thank you you too all right and, wow wow just just wow westernjournal.com if, if you don't you know what just bookmark that website and check yeah. it off. And, um, yeah, I've been checking George it. George Upper, the Uppercut. He, he's a few times a day. Yeah. There's yeah, maybe yeah. 10 sites that I do that for, and the Western Journal is one I've, I've added just most recently to that list. And uh, it's a it's a great site, and it's uh, filled with content each and every day. You Literally know, Daily's been linking to it a lot. One, one of the things uh, that I, I was amazed at, child sex crimes jumped 30% during London, London Mayor's first year. That's on westernjournal.com. And when you start digging into that, a lot of things start to fall into place. So, anyway, go on. Well, it was a great show tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. For our Friday edition, don't forget the Hagman Daily Show, the Doug Hagman Radio Show. And if you're going to go to Occupy 2018, Occupy. go to CoachDaveLive.com right and get your tickets today. There's not many left. We'll see you back here tomorrow.